Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Lovelace. I'm Danielle. Hey, gang. This is an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy titles and all the related titles and interweaving them all together. Multiversity Hellboy expert Mark Tweedell is helping us with our reading order. We also interact with all of our listeners. Danielle, tell them all about it. Well, we're going to read a story, and then we are going to talk about it. And then you can talk about it, too, because you can send us an email. That's a Hey You Damn Guyses. And also on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm sure there's other places, maybe Twitter. <laughs> and then you talk about that, and then we talk about what you talked about. And then last time we told you what you were going to read next time. And then we read, <laughs> we talk about that, and then that's a that's a book club. Back to you, John. Awesome. Thank and, you. And friendship. <laughs> there you go. Wait, wait. This is all about Hellboy? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I, right? We, I, I was about to say, I, but I, we're I, about I, to read Lobster Johnson. I thought this was a knitting circle. I know. Yeah. <laughs> we Sometimes we read other stuff, but it's uh, it, that's okay. And we'll be getting to some Hellboy very soon, I promise. Also, if you've sure been yeah, <laughs> also if you've been enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Leave us five stars. We put a lot of time and effort into making sure that you guys have a great listening experience. So give us a review. Also, some shouts outs, right? <laughs> shouts out. Some shouts out. Thanks for all the love on Instagram, Felipe Trinidad, Kyle Sanchez, and the amazing Symbiote. Hope to hear from y'all guys soon. The amazing symbiote. What should I say? Symbiote. Is that how <laughs> is you say it? Symbiote? No, that is not how you say it. <laughs> Some people say it like the that. amazing symbiote. Yeah, but symbiote. You know. Symb- is it an actual word or is this a made-up word? Symbiote. You should keep the debate in there because then people <laughs> yeah. don't know. Okay. Because- Express all sides of the opinion <laughs> no. about symbiote or symbiote. <laughs> no, there are some symbiote. Definitely- <laughs> The only person I ever heard pronounce it like that is that person in the Venom movie trailer. There you go. And they cut it out later, I <laughs> oh, think, or they, or they changed it. Yeah, right. I think they changed it for the movie. I think people that are from a different country might ex- might pronounce it differently. Oh, I don't know. I like- well, all I know is that movie got it wrong for that character. Right on. <laughs> there you go. And now it's time for listener feedback. That's feedback from our listeners. That's our friends. It's a book club. Back to you, book club members. Get out your trains and floppies. Get out your hardback copies. Digital print is fine. You can read along in time. We had a Hey You Damn Guys and Gal from Hylonymous on Twitter. And so I was wondering what that is. Hylonymous, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, is an extinct reptile. Oh, cool. It's like, um, imagine those little garden lizards that you see outside that you like. Like, imagine if they were as big as your hand. Like, that's what those guys are. Yeah, so I like this person already. Yeah. They said, I'm currently binge listening to your amazing podcast. I'm currently at... Episode thirty, which is our where we got drunk. Oh, okay. And we read oh, <laughs> sure. Way. Just episode thirty. Gotcha. <laughs> right. That was the only one we did that. I'm um, doing the chores, playing video games, walking around. 
dropping a line for when I get to the current episode. In Poland, we say, and thank you for the pronunciation, Ribka Luby Popoivac. Oh, okay. Which means the little fish likes to swim and makes no sense, I guess. <laughs> Thanks right. so much. I, yeah. I like that. I wish I had a drink to toast you on that one. Yeah, there you go. Ripka Luby Popoivich. There you go. Awesome. All right. Ripka Luby Popoivich. There you go. All right. right. I got it. Learning. Imagine trying to say that when you're actually drinking. (laughs) Let's do it. I'm going to start doing that now. Fuck yeah. We also had some feedback from Jonas J. Sousa. He said, Hellboy should come to Brazil. We have a bunch of faces to punch nowadays. Oh, and he, man. And he posted, <laughs> a, yes. he posted a picture of Hellboy punching a Nazi. Yes. So I also nice. added a fuck Nazis uh, hashtags for that guy. Vincent Farmer on Twitter, he said, I'm a very recent convert to Hellboy fandom. I avoided him for a long time for reasons similar to Doug Jones' initial reluctance to star mm. in Hellboy. But after watching the Ron Perlman movies, I had to read the books and now I'm hooked. What a wonderful character. And I said, you're so lucky to read all this stuff for the first time. You know, follow along with us on the show. And he said, thanks. That's how I feel. It's nice to read a fresh character other than what DC and Marvel have been putting out for years. (laughs) What I love about Hellboy is that the book doesn't ignore the passage of time and how facing the things like Hellboy yeah. and company deal with can change them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's their permanent changes. Yeah. Like they say, there's no one coming in like, okay, I don't like all this. We're starting over. Right. right. I'm going to do my own thing. Right. It's, it's a continuous, like it's an actual yeah, right. story. <laughs> I remember, and I think we talked about this before, but when they were ramping up for all the hell on earth stuff and all this was right around the time that Abe got shot and before he had evolved and everything. And, the quote was, we are breaking things that cannot be fixed. Right. You know? and Now, and they do bring people back to life. I'm not going to... Right. You know, that they happens. They, it has happened. And you know what? I'm okay with it. Yeah. So... Well, it happens organically in the story. It isn't happening for right. a gimmick. Okay. And yeah. It, and it doesn't happen all the time. You know, there are certain characters who have stayed dead. Sure. I'm trying to hard, hard to remember who came back to life. Like, I'm not even going to defend <laughs> it, though. Like, all of these points are arguable. I'm not even going to defend it. I'm just like, I'm okay with it just right. because the rest of it's so fucking good. Yeah. Well, I think I guess. You're, you're specifically talking about Abe, that there's he got a, shot and he came back? I think there's or? a couple of people who... Hmm. I don't know. Daimyo died and he hasn't come back. Right. Roger died. He hasn't come back. Did Liz ever die? She kind of did, but then Roger yeah. saved right, her. Sure. Yeah, yeah, Roger saved her and, and she then, came back. What about, I mean, Hellboy kind of... Oh, Cowboy's definitely come back because he got killed in the island and then he also got killed. Well, now he's in hell. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But these are all magical people to begin with. And when you're doing stories that involve magical characters it's like you know what it's fine it's magic if if, if we're allowed to believe that this one person can control a living fire this person over here is a fish man this person over here is like hell boy so it's kind of like you can kind of (laughs) you can make allowances i love that because the the universe is pointing out that there are certain characters who have Sure. abilities to move like that right. and yeah. others that don't right yeah. and so maybe there's a distinction i love that we have to talk about that again in the future right we had some feedback on the forgotten man nathaniel green said anyone else catch that isaiah was in the 369th regiment that's the number of the ogdrahem oh oh i did not catch that one what, huh. but what's interesting too is that's an actual historical reference as well right. so it's kind of like literally wonder, just a coincidence yes that's so cool that but yeah it does tie together he said I like stuff like that that's cool he said it might just be a coincidence but our discussions are a big part of what i love about fandom synchronicity nice. i love that yeah can't ignore that 
we had some feedback on Metal Monsters of Midtown, the episode that we read last week. So, um, the lasso rope discussion. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Drew Campbell found a still from a Batman cartoon where he is using a lasso. It looks like from Batman Brave and the Bold. And Nicholas Orizaga found from Detective Comics number 28. Okay. Oh, Batman, wow. and he has it over his head so, and he's swinging it around. So, these are included in the skill set that one needs to be a fucked up vigilante. There you go. I concede this point. <laughs> You know, I know when I've been corrected and when I'm wrong. I guess it's just something you have to learn how to do if you're going to be like fighting crime by night in the street, a crime fighting gentleman. <laughs> yes. A yes. nocturnal crime fighting gentleman. But I do agree with you that I would love to see that in the montage yes, somewhere. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Failing to lasso something and then later getting a little bit better at it. And then at the end, he's lassoing stuff left and right, that right. kind of thing. Oh, Somebody's yeah. Somebody's trying to smoke a cigarette and they oh, yeah. lasso it out of his hand. Yeah. <laughs> Lassoing people. I mean, that would get so annoying at the at the hideout. You're drinking a cup of coffee. It's seven in the morning. All of a sudden, you've been lassoed. Like, all right, man. God damn it! I haven't even finished my coffee. Yet. I get that you're excited that you've managed to cultivate this as a skill, but you, please, please. Nathaniel Green posted a gift from Boondock Saints where they're like, "Name one thing you'll need this stupid rope for." Uh, Do you remember that scene? Do you know what you need? It's rope. Absolutely. What are you insane? What is Charlie Bronson's always got a rope. What? Yeah. Always got a lot of rope strapped around him in the movies, and they always end up using it. I've lost it, haven't you? No, I'm serious. Me too. That's stupid. Man, one thing you're gonna need a rope for. I don't fucking know what you're gonna need it for. They just always need it. Yeah. And then later they do need it, well, and then, then so he tells it back to him. There's also a Lord of the Rings thing about the whole rope thing they get the rope as a gift from the elves and they're like oh, oh it's a magical rope we oh, the, need this yeah glider is yeah. yeah and that's a whole thing so there's always this but is happening in a lot of stories initially yeah. he's like he thinks it's not yeah a good oh yeah gift. absolutely and then later it ends up being very crucial yeah i love that everyone out of those nice shiny daggers damn samwise don't question galadriel <laughs> <laughs> Lobster20,000 said, I absolutely love the panel of the lobster about to lasso the robot. Such a goofy but cool image. Yes. The big tube on the lobster's belt is a gas mask canister. Uh, it's labeled as such in the Mignola character sheet from the Burning Hand sketchbook. Oh, we missed nice. that. Thank you Yeah, for that. so I thought that that's where he had the rope. That is but fucking yeah, useful, Yeah, that's though. very cool. That's a useful thing. Nathaniel Green, he also asked about this story. Did we ever determine who the car guy is? Uh, who, uh, because we talked about that car, the Asada Frashini, yeah. whether it was Zanich or whether whether it was Arcudi, who really uh, had to put that car in the story. And I don't really know. I know, I think that Arcudi like, knows a lot about, like, guns, because I think they talked about that when he was writing in BPRD or something. Mm. So I think it's kind of him, because I, I just, I'm just making a generalization that maybe he likes mechanical things or something like that. Mm. Anyway. Well, it could very well be Zonich too. Yeah, it could just be like uh, when he was doing his research for that time period, he just saw that car and he just really liked the look yeah, of it. Yeah, it sure. could just be something as simple as that. He also said, a little off topic, but when uh, we were all laughing about Danielle's awesome rendition of the of Lester's Newsies voice, <laughs> like dope, he said it reminded him of a John Mulaney sketch. Do you know what you were <laughs> talking about? Oh. About Ice tea or whatever? Oh, man. Wait, That's a huge guy. I love John Mulaney. <laughs> Wait, He's the, fantastic. The, the rapper or the drink? <laughs> yeah, the rapper. Okay. Yes. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's like one of my favorite 
things that he does. I absolutely agree. I could I cannot get enough of of Ice T doing that type of thing. That's that's awesome. No, yeah, John Mulaney is excellent. Yeah. So thank you sure. very much. That's uh, quite a compliment. Drew Campbell said the editor's note that's missing from the trade where it talks about how they built the bomb in issue one. He was like, I think it's not there because all the chapters are collected. So you didn't need a reminder. It was just kind of no. reminding us that they were building those, I guess, or something. Yeah, actually, I thought I started thinking about that. Is like how long in between issue one and two was there? Right, I don't really remember. It, I mean, two months or whatever, I guess. So, I mean, that that might be something like as a nice little callback, especially if right. somebody picked it up as their second issue. Mm. Drew Campbell also said we talked about that it might he might have chicken soup in that oh, yeah. thermos yeah. or whatever. And he said, so if he's some kind of ghost, does that mean it's chicken soup for the soul? Uh, <laughs> uh, I love it. No. Hey, <laughs> yes. You're in the doghouse on that one. Dogs are cool, though. <laughs> Hayden Orr said, the robots in this series always remind me of the robots in the Fleischer Superman short, the mechanical monsters. Oh. I don't know for sure, but I feel like there's probably some slight inspiration there for the robots in the comic. They're huge, impervious to conventional weapons, controlled by radio frequency, and they're stopped by a costumed hero. And he posted a picture on the thread on Facebook, and so they did bear a similarity. They had that very kind of simple yeah. design. Ryan Rollinson said the designs of these robots is fantastic, horrifying in scale and simplicity. Tales from the Chris said The Night of the Hunter, that's the movie that Matt was talking about, Mm -hmm. where it had the car underwater, he said, is a must-watch. Huge inspiration for many films and apparently comics. The Criterion Blu-ray is a great addition. And NDN Funkadelic also praised Night of the Hunter. And then when I posted the Multiversity article and interview with Zonich by Mark Tweedale, did you get a chance to look at that? Mark Tweedale. I glanced at it today. Okay. Because I just posted it today. And Duncan Fregredo responded. He said, I forgot about that fabulous little animation, Beyond the Call of Duty. Yeah, so that animation that I was showing you guys of the robot moving its arm, that I guess Zonich did that. That is so cool that he would go through all that effort. Man, it looked really cool, too. All sketchy like it. Yeah, I really like that. And now on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Lobster Johnson, The Pirate's Ghost. This was a three-issue miniseries published from March to May 2017, written by Mignola and Arcudi, letters by Clem Robbins, and art and colors by Tanchi Zonyich. So Dave Stewart kind of took a break on this one, and they let Zonyich do the colors as well as the art, which I thought was really interesting. And I didn't even really notice it And then until I was doing the notes, and I was like, wow, it was kind of seamless. Did you guys notice a difference? Yes, I did. Well, because remember, like I told you, like I read The Metal Monsters of Midtown, and then I immediately read The Pirate's Ghost. I could tell instantly between the two. Oh, wow, okay. had I just picked it up and started, mm, I don't think I would have noticed. It is different, but it's good. <laughs> okay, actually, it works. Let, let me rephrase that. I noticed that it looked different. I didn't notice that it wasn't Dave Stewart. Okay, okay. wow. Let me rephrase that. Right. Well, it is different, but it's it's good. It works. I mean, I just figured, like, they're all different. <laughs> they're all each colored uniquely right. for their own specific storyline. Sure, yeah, exactly. I like the covers, how they he made them look like they're old books. With all the textures and the details and stuff. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I do want to talk about this cover a little bit. We're going to see kind of this same theme run throughout, which is kind of different for Zonich. This is a very different kind of cover layout, I think, than what we've seen. I like how they all go together. Here we depict the pirate ship in the middle, and on the side we have Wald, 
Baga Yai, the Steel Hawk, who we've seen before in BPRD and the Sledgehammer 44 series. Payne, Cindy Tynan's producer, who we met last week, and Cindy herself. On the other side, opposite Wald, is the Lobster, followed by Bill, Robert Lester, and Harry, opposite Cindy. And so I like how Wald and the Lobster's heads are kind of bigger, and then Cindy and Harry's heads are kind of bigger, too. I just like the... There's a lot of storytelling just in the way that it's laid out. Mm -hmm. The textures and all the details and stuff make it look as though someone straight up either photographed or scanned like the cover of an old book yeah it looks um it's like those those books that you would find when you were rummaging around your grandma's <laughs> closet looking for stuff looking for something to do digging around and being nosy and you find like a pile of these whatever like nancy drews or right stuff right. like that you know i like yeah. that it's got that that like linen texture to yeah, it it's nice. sure yeah. yeah i like it a lot i mean that's most likely what it was is they probably did a high quality scan of texture i mean it's obviously done digitally but it's it's really nice that he took yeah, the time to do that i wonder how that effect was created well there's all kinds of different ways you can do it but most likely i mean most likely what i mean because what god i do when i do a texture like that is i'll just go find the texture and take a picture of it right cool thanks for pointing all that out so wow like like i said last week this was my first time reading this one and it was so enjoyable i had a lot of fun with this one and i just want to talk about this opening scene a little bit so did any of this seem familiar to you? It reminds me very much of Venture Bros. Like <laughs> this opening scene. So here I want to show Venture you Bros. guys. Here I have pulled my BPRD Plague of Frogs Volume Four Omnibus, and I want to show you guys. This is from the Black Goddess, which we read. It feels like years ago at this point. I think we read it in uh, fourteen seventy-five. Uh, <laughs> and it was so, a Wednesday, and it was raining. <laughs> in that story, Kate goes and finds old Harry. Right in the in his like nursing home or whatever to talk to him about the lobster, mm -hmm. and when she meets up with him, he's talking to the nurse about one of his adventures. And so I just want you guys to look at these pages really quick. Oh wow, wow. Oh, okay, that's cool. So what I love about this and what you're looking at is Neat. it's like almost panel for panel actually recreated by right. Zonich. It's good from Guy Davis's work. I just thought that that was great. Yeah, we're really seeing good. A, we're seeing we're seeing both pages. If you line them up side by side, they pretty much line yeah. up exactly, right? I love yeah. how goofy it is. It's really over the top goofy. <laughs> I don't like that they shot the alligators to death. Oh yeah, that's not cool to do. Don't do that. It's not their fault. They're in there. Yeah. So if you are if you don't remember, you definitely got to go back and look at these Guy Davis panels alongside the Zonich ones. A lot of times we see them recreate them. But in this one, they like almost recreate them exactly, which I think is what's yeah, so it's cool good. about it. And so here Harry is mid battle. He's having been worked on for three days by the Steel Hawk and some goon who I assume is Baga Yai. That's how he was labeled on the cover. And he's this sort of stereotypical looking witch doctor guy. And he's got these alligators on leashes. And he tells Harry, are you missing your firearm at this moment? Feel the burning sting of justice. The lobster leaps in and shoots his gun. Okay, so yeah, I the 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 one dude, Mister Bagayai. I when I did read this, I was just like, he does look familiar. Yeah, but I couldn't place it. <laughs> I didn't realize all of these panels were the same. <laughs> yeah, it is so cool. And so when it when when it cuts over to old Harry, he's telling the nurse this. And he's all like acting out, like punching and all this kind of stuff. And then here we see that they beat the guy or whatever. And unfortunately, like Danielle said, shot the alligators. Uncool. Got to call some wildlife 
experts in there to relocate those guys. Yeah. We cut to August 1st, 1936, and we see Harry and Cindy, and they're leaving a movie theater. Not naked with a knife, underwater, Harry says, pointing at the marquee. He's obviously been comparing his adventures with those of Tarzan and his mate, also Tarzan Escapes, which are listed as the film's playing. Tarzan and His Mate is a 1934 American pre-code adventure film based on the Tarzan character created by Edgar Rice Burroughs, directed by Gibbons. It was a second in the Tarzan film series that starred Johnny Weissmuller and Maureen O'Sullivan as Tarzan and Jane. I don't know if it's Weissmuller or Weissmuller. I think it's Weiss. Right. He was an Austro-Hungarian-born American competition swimmer and actor. And so he played Tarzan for, like, a ton of movies. He was one of the world's fastest swimmers in the 1920s, winning five Olympic gold medals for swimming and one bronze medal for water polo. Tarzan and his mate acquired a cult status, largely due to O'Sullivan wearing one of the most revealing costumes on screen at the time, a halter top and a loincloth. (laughs) Because Jane was a lady from England with manners and poise, her wearing such a provocative outfit was particularly naughty and symbolic of sexual freedom. In this pre-code film, Jane also sleeps in the nude. She swims nude with Tarzan and is touched by Tarzan. And she has a scene in which she's stranded in the jungle without clothes on. Tarzan and Jane also sleep together and is all the more startling by Hollywood standards because they aren't married. <laughs> the end credits list O'Sullivan as Jane Parker instead of her married name, emphasizing mm-hmm. that she was single and living in sin. Yikes. Isn't that interesting? What? <laughs> Tarzan Escapes is the 1936 sequel to that one, so it's the third in the Tarzan series. And the first one was called Tarzan the Ape Man in 1934. Anyway, and you can see like the posters and stuff like that on the wall. They say Johnny Weissmuller, so that's the actor. I find it interesting that the tale that he's telling her is the same tale. It so makes you wonder how many times does he tell that tale? Oh, this is it's so like funny. One of his favorite stories, I yeah. guess. This is so funny because that's the same thing Matt said uh. when we talked to Matt. He said, "This is Harry's story. Yeah, this is the story that he tells. It's his go-to. Well, he's he was reminded of because this of the, story the crocodile because of, of the movie. And yeah, the he's like, Oh, that's yeah. not how you do it. You yeah. do it like this, and so." But then oh. I guess later he's what still telling the story. What is this the first time you told the story? Right. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Cindy isn't amused by Harry's tale. She's worried about it when he's out with a lobster. He tries to change the subject. He's referencing how Weissmuller was a swimmer, not an actor. How long can he keep it going? Apparently for a while, he did 12 Tarzan movies, followed Jeez. by 13 Jungle Gym movies, okay. a safari suit wearing adventurer guy. Jesus. All right. <laughs> 25 movies? Yeah. Wow. Cindy says not to change the subject when she's mad at him. Uh, I thought you wanted me to change the subject. Oh, just forget it, Cindy says. And so Harry's like, are you really mad? And she goes, we need to talk. Yee. Ah, oh, these dames always wanting to talk, see? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> We cut to this amazing page of the lobster. I love the mood setting in this. He watches a house and waits for Bob and Lester. Yeah, the colors are good. Yeah, I really like that first panel. It's so awesome. And you can't yeah. see like the... We've talked about this before, but when you can't see any human part of him. Sure. You know? Yeah, it's a really quick-ass panel. Bob and Lester return, and it seems like they're looking for Wald. He isn't there. The lobster says the house was Wald's late wife's place. He asks Bob 
if you took a photograph of the deed, then they'll start there and use it to find Wald wherever he is. It's like an angry frog. <laughs> yeah, I really love that page. And where is Wald? Well, he's he, having pirate adventure. He's swashbuckling <laughs> with El Bogavante, the uh, lobster pirate. Oh, man. Wald's sword fights the crewmates from the boat they're overtaking, and El Bogavante comes in and shoots them. And then he apologizes to Wald for ending the fight so early. But they need to keep their eyes open. The Navy's coming. And there's some great pirate speak throughout this scene, sure. right? <laughs> A vaster be cut down like wheat. All right. Haha, <laughs> blast away, you lime suckers. He's having a good old time, and then, you know, you quickly realize he's just chilling in a robe and a rocking chair. And this guy's like, hey, uh, what's the uh, matter with you, man? Right, what right. What are you uh, <laughs> fucking doing out here? Like you said that he's on a porch in like a houseboat or yeah. something? And this is like four or five pages worth of right. material before worth a reveal. Worth yeah. sure. Yeah. It's really great. I really love all that. We see the El Bogavante lobster with a hook hand. Right, yeah. Because oh. he doesn't have his, his hand. Oh. Right, right. Off. We'll talk about that more later. It's interesting that he managed to include some like historical stuff in his daydream that he, I guess, knew about pirates. Because he's like, oh, you lime suckers. You carried limes with you because of the scurvy. You don't want to get the oh, scurvy. Oh, I love yep. that. They call each other like a scurvy dog, you know, whatever, yeah. that kind of thing. Thank so you it's for like, pointing that out. You know, but he's uh, like, I saw, remember he stole Cindy's reading material, all yeah. the research books He's been on learning pirates. about pirates, so yeah. So he's been reading all of it. That I kind love of sunk that. in. I like how he's on a much less impressive boat in real life. <laughs> oh right! <laughs> Cut to the actual boat that he's on. It's actually really right. nice. No, I mean, it's a two-story houseboat. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's a nice boat, but compared right. to it's the... not a ship. You're right. saying yeah, it's, yeah, not, yeah. it's not an entire ship for sure. Mm. Although, I mean, that is a cool boat. That's a good boat. And Isog is the one that comes and interrupts his fantasy. He says he heard Wald shouting. He wants him to stay in the cabin. We're too close to our objective to draw any attention now. He tells Wald. I guess maybe I was sleepwalking. Wald says just dreaming and we see that he has the mummified hand that i saw gave him back and get the lobster in his robe pocket over at the diner we see cindy and harry i was trying to see what the name of the diner is they show the window a couple different times but i couldn't make it out i was wondering if it was a real diner oh it looks like it says tom's diner again we see this a lot of times in the series like we don't see the talk we just see the aftermath right. of it you can right? assume what's going on through what they say next exactly and she's just like say something it seems like cindy's been offered a job in chicago to be a television reporter that's like a logical extension yeah, right because we've seen her first on the radio um, from being a newspaper reporter so this is like kind of her career path maybe this tv thing is just a fad though <laughs> it's a big risk you never right? know Harry thinks it's an opportunity of a lifetime, and he would never keep her from it. But he can't leave New York. It's a very diehard situation, except for the fact that he's very supportive and very right, sweet and very right. like, I'm so happy for you. I want, you know, what you need to be happy in your career. That's amazing. It's great. But like, I just, I can't leave. I gotta, I have, there's something I have to do. Right. In my heart, I feel is right. And oh, you know, you know, and but like in the obviously in Die Hard, he was all pissed off, right, like a fucking right. jerk about it. But that's character growth. So yeah, anyway, but, I'm kind of going on a tangent. Anyway, sorry. But it's almost like I think Cindy wanted the angry response because sure. she's kind of disappointed. She calls him. She says that you just gave me the Mister Magnanimous speech. You know what I mean? Because he was so kind and so okay. You know what I mean? Of course, I want you to stay, Harry says. Well, then, cause, because that's it's all in her hands at that point. She's right. just annoyed that she has to make the decision exactly. between <laughs> her career 
and staying with the guy that she loves. Obviously, he wants her to do anything. She needs to be successful, happy, and all this sort of thing, which is amazing. What an amazing guy. That's absolutely the correct answer. But now for her, she can't be like, well, well, I'm blaming it on my boyfriend. You know what I mean? So I guess I have to stay here. You know, she has to really make that hard decision. At one point, he he mentions that he looks like the heavy, which is a name for it's another way to say like the heel, the villain, the bad guy. Oh, how do I not end up looking like the bad guy here? So the heavy was like when you're a bad guy. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Most most recently was mentioned in uh, Once Upon a Time. In Hollywood, right? They do talk he's about playing that a little the bit. heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, these characters are so fleshed out. I was just gonna say you so much about, character development yeah, in this, but it's still quickly paced. It's not like dragging on and on. It's mm-hmm. boring. I don't give a shit. You know, it's very quick. <laughs> it's well paced. I'm serious. Like I will, I will it, flip pages. But it's oh, I know, they, I know. I just, yeah. it, it just, you know, it makes. But it simple. is. But it's you know. Yeah. It's good. But it's more about what their lines infer mm-hmm. and less about what they're actually saying Absolutely, to each other yeah. that gives us the weight of mm-hmm. it, which is yeah. so such a great piece of uh, writing. That's John Arcudi, right? He's yeah. been writing all those oh, yeah. character beats that we've been loving from the BPRD series. All those moments with Kate and Johan and Devin and Abe all screaming at each other. Well, and we're invested. <laughs> we we want things for these characters like we want her to oh yeah advance in your career and be something like be influential right. and especially in this time period you don't get a lot of women in your line of work and so it's kind of one of these things where you um you really want her to because this is a calling for her too she feels like she can do more good this way she feels like she can really because she's the kind of journalist reporter whatever right. that is willing to put her life on the line to like make sure that these stories get out there and all this stuff and so she's the hard yeah reporter she's gonna do it but then she fell in love oh no but this guy's a crime fighter by night what are you gonna do it's very <laughs> compelling it's I very like compelling yeah. so like you said the dialogue isn't clunky over the top and mushy no yeah. it's not clunky and it's not awkward it's just very you find yourself thinking like how would this conversation go if i were having it with somebody you know yeah. what i mean so it's very i like it you know what I find interesting about this is that um, you know we've been speculating about their relationship right. for a while now, and then this one finally confirms what we've been speculating the whole time. Mm-hmm. But it's like, all right, yes, it were we were right. Oh, but it's at the end, right, right, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> there is the, there is that too, which adds yeah. to the emotional weight of the scene. But then again, I mean, we don't really need. Um, every little beat by beat for right. their particular relationship. Right. We know like where they met and we know, we see them getting closer and becoming more friendly with each other. Right. And, right. And then, you know, it the, just, it feels like it's logically gotten yeah. to this point. There's also this theme that kind of runs through all these books about like sacrifice. Like they're sacrificing an interpersonal relationship for like doing what they believe is right. Sure, and we've seen yeah. so much of that. Wow. And yeah, it's very, I love that. Uh, it gets it gets you right yeah. in, right in the feels. Let's talk about that at the end too. I want to bring that point back up. Thank you for bringing that up. Suddenly there's a screech, and again, uh, how Clem Robbins like the letters are slightly it's off. Good, you know what I mean. And yeah. that sound effect where it kind of lends to the motion of the car. I love a hand drawn font. The American Radio Company car pulls up, and we see Payne lean out. Cindy, been looking for you all over. He says, "Get in." Some old schooner, or I don't know, a big boat just appeared in the Hudson. Nobody knows where it came from, but it's heading uptown. It's and a ship, It's that okay. ghost ship, yeah, that we saw on the cover. You know what this reminded me of? Huh. Ghostbusters 2, <laughs> where the Titanic 
arrives. Oh, yeah, you're right. And uh, I don't think that they said it in the actual movie, but it was in the trailer for sure. It goes, the Titanic just arrived. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and so when I saw that, that's a thing that right, right. Head. That's cool. Yeah, maybe someone's a Ghostbusters fan. Everybody's a Ghostbusters yeah. fan. <laughs> <laughs> Over in the Lobster's hideout, we see Bob, Bill, Lester, and the Lobster inspecting a slide of the deed of Wald's ex-wife's house. I like that he mentions, like, well, I could have made a better one, but you <laughs> wanted me to do it real fast, so. Like, that's what, yeah, that's Because, you know, detail. when you do a bad job at something you're actually good at, you right. want people to know. You right. want to be like, I, I actually am good at this. This is just kind of a rough, anyway. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, we're not, we're trying to get information about right. this investigator. Like, it doesn't matter. But they took the time to put that in there. Like, that's the Those kind of guy he is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But what they can read are a few names of the law firm, and it's still operating. The lobster suspects one of the partners left after executing the deed. Let's pay him a visit, the lobster says. Yeah, and Zonya does do a good job here with the color, with the projector. You know how the yeah. projector light makes uh, it like taints of the rest of the scene? Mm-hmm. Over at the pier with the ghost ship, the police tell the ship it's not authorized to enter the waters. And we can see here on the ship it says, New York City Sergeant J. Smurd. I couldn't find a reference to that. I just thought it was interesting that that detail is in there. Payne sets Cindy up, and she describes the scene. She's over uh, here with this weird mic. Oh, yeah, yeah, those old-timey... Yeah. I keep calling them an old-timey... I mean, this one is an old-timey Okay. One. <laughs> That's for sure an old-timey one. An unidentified boat is sailing upstream, and it looks to be more than a century... What the? A g- 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 ghost. Oh, no. This had a real Scooby-Doo feeling Oh, to for it. sure. <laughs> Where it's 10,000% Scooby-Doo right now. Where did he come from? And so on the ghost ship, we see this ghost pirate, right? How else do you describe this guy? He's I mean, got yeah. like, he's glowing green and he's dressed up like a pirate. He looks all raggled and everything. And he's walking on the... Um... The sales. Right, right. Yeah. The sergeant there. You there, stop this showboat and identify yourself. All the the little flaps open up on the side where the cannons come out. Right? So all the cannons come out and they're like, oh, damn it. I've seen enough Errol Flynn movies to know what those are. Full throttle, sergeant. And so Errol... That's a lot of words to say. Cannons. Right. <laughs> Look out. Well, this is the 1930s. People used we a lot more to, words then. <laughs> we have to make sure we know who Errol Flynn is. Right, right. He played a lot of pirates, right? Pirates, and he played Robin Hood. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of swashbuckling. Yeah. Suddenly there's a loud boom. Everybody hits the deck. And then we cut over to another scene. We cut over to this building, and inside we see this fancy pants guy. Fancy He's talking pants. to this other two guys. They're in some sort of lounge, and they're all smoking pipes and cigars, right? Snifters of brandy. Yeah. <laughs> Looks all hoity-toity. Yes, right. I love these curtains. These are amazing. I really like them. Yeah, Zanya did a really good job with these. And, like, he's gone back so many times. We've seen that, like, they're based on actual things. I wonder if these are old curtain patterns or, no. you know, did he design this or did he research, you know, did he find these in some of his research? We've seen that he goes back and right. looks for details they're like pretty, this. They're pretty, though. He's, he's really thought out the whole vibe of this room the leather yeah. chairs and everything and these guys too like aubrey said right. they're very hoity-toity he's talking about and no i didn't bother correcting his grammar Ugh. this kind of reminds me of like the that scene in uh trading places um when uh, right at the very beginning when dan Aykroyd is getting the payroll signed right before eddie murphy robs him <laughs> <laughs> but i like how fucking pretentious this 
guys. They're there's, all fucking pretentious. They're yeah. all pretentious. Yeah. Like, oh, quite the card. Oh, he's like, oh, Hypnos calls. I found it unwise to heed him not. Right. So fucking unnecessary to be like, I'm going to sleep. Yes. Hypnos. And so in Greek mythology, Hypnos is the personification of sleep. Ridiculous. Over at the ghost ship, suddenly there's this great double page splash of the lobster jumping in. We can see that canister really well in this scene, too. I guess now we know that's where his gas mask is. <laughs> he jumps through a lot of glass. <laughs> it's just a lot. And he jumps on the fancy pants guy. I love the dude spitting his uh, drink out when the lobster oh, pops yeah, yeah, take. What nice. a great detail. I love that. <laughs> he jumps on this guy, and we're going to learn his name is Mr. Horace. No, please, I can't breathe. You won't need to in a moment, the lobster says. In 929, you left Benchley, Hogshire, and Nash two weeks after executing the sale of the property to Arnie Wald's late wife. You have had no income in seven years. You are Wald's lawyer, paid with bloody cash. Tell me where he is. And so the lobster starts like, cocking his gun to shoot him and so he starts spilling the beans right he's like well i was wald's lawyer but not for years i don't know where he is then why shouldn't i kill you the lobster asks wald's wife isn't dead this guy says mr horace and i know where she is over at the ghost ship the onlookers notice that they didn't get injured by the cannonball blast we just saw that that was the last scene that we saw and i love this woman here she's like nothing got hit because there were no cannonballs (laughs) it was all some kind of stunt so the cops go off looking for that guy who was the creepy pirate that we saw leap off over in the background i do want to point this out it says cunard white star This was a British shipping line which existed between 1934 and 1949. It was created as an operating company to control the joint shipping assets of the Cunard Line and the White Star Line after both companies experienced financial difficulties during the Great Depression. And if I didn't mention earlier, like most of these details that I'm going to give are from Wikipedia. White Star is also the uh, company that built the Titanic. Oh, Oh, okay. As the smoke clears, they notice uh, one of the guys is dead. Uh Oh no, it's Payne. He's been shot three times and Cindy is gone. So the whole pirate thing was just a distraction, right? I love Mm -hmm. that she looks fucking pissed. She's annoyed. Yeah. She's like... She's, you know what I mean? She's not like, oh, scared. Right. She's, like, of course, I'm, she's probably scared, but she's more pissed off than anything else, yeah. which I love that decision. I love the choice that was made there. We see character. that they've got her in Isog's car. Two goons in the backseat hold her at gunpoint. Too many people. They take the subway. You get there faster, but you miss the sights of Manhattan, Isog says. Do you remember the last time I drove you through the city? I was not so much in the mood to savor it then. And so if you remember, the last time he drove Cindy through the city, she had him at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. And, she, right. and she made him hit Kamala with the car to stop her from powering the black flame. Right. I'm so glad we have this chance to revisit that experience. To allow me to enjoy what we had, Isog says. I think you'll have to agree, Miss Tynan, that the universe can be merciful on occasion. <laughs> She's pissed. Yeah. It's good. It's a good choice. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Honestly, I think that Cindy uh, Tynan is probably my favorite uh, out of the lobster. Yeah. Out of the lobster crew. She's been yeah. a great character. Yeah. This issue two cover, it's kind of mirroring that issue one cover, except here, instead of the ghost ship in the middle, we have this cleaver that's red. Ooh. And so we also see on one side is Wald, Mrs. Wald, the ghost, and El Bogavante. And on the other side, we have the lobster Peter Awam, Horace, Dr. Hyder, and then Isog on the bottom. 
And again, it has that textured old book look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Extra, extra, radio news lady missing. We see this news kid. He's in front of the movie theater. We see this theater a couple times. I thought it was interesting that they come back to this location over and over. I forgot to check if this is an actual movie theater. It probably is. So somebody let me know. It says Majestic at the top. So I should have looked for that detail. As the kid, uh, he sees this guy walking by and he goes, Hey, mister, your fingertips glowing. Huh? I thought I washed off all that stuff. And so this guy, so this guy was the ghost, right? Again, yeah. it doesn't tell yeah. you, but yeah. it's kind of putting it together. We realize that the ghost ship was a distraction. I love this scene because there's no mm-hmm. fucking like out loud monologue of him like, I, ha- I better scrub all this glow in the dark paint off since I'm the pirate ghost and I'm right. tricking everybody. <laughs> wow, that I sure did trick everyone with my my ghost ship last right, night. Right. Ha ha ha, they'll never figure it out. <laughs> like it's very it's this is a great way to do it. It is. Little paper boy. It's and another way to sneak in another thing. There were paper boys. You know what I mean? It's right, very right. puts you into that universe and at the same time explains this thing and it's ah it's super good. They trust you yeah. to read this and know what's going on. It's so much more enjoyable. Be smart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. it's not even like smart. It's just like well, it's just, how to read a fucking story. Yeah. Like it's you know what I mean? Well, they don't hold your hand, you know, they expect you to you know, figure things out. Right. <laughs> uh, hold on. We're picking up about the Majestic. I don't know about any theater in New York, but I do know that in Houston there there was a Majestic right. theater. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's still there. There's okay. Majestic theaters probably yeah, all over the place. Yeah. yeah. This guy with the glow in the dark finger paint, he sees the newspaper headline: "Radio engineer killed, news lady missing." And so he like quickly just takes one of the papers and runs inside the theater. Okay, can we also point out, like, how crappy of a job did you do to be able to get it off your face, off all the rest of your hand, but you miss one finger? Right, right. I gotta say, though, because sometimes getting stuff like that off your hands is real hard. It'll stay there for a couple of days, and there's right, nothing right. you can do about it. Well, I mean, but look at the rest of his hand. Right, no, I get it. It's just one of those things. It's like he lathered everything except his pinky. (laughs) We cut over to a room and we see a woman with long hair sitting in front of a window. This is Wall's ex-wife and she was mentioned so we probably assume that it's her. The keeper, Dr. Hyder, says that she's totally catatonic. Bob here is posing as Swiss Dr. Chisholm, referred by Mr. Horace. And so that was the fancy pants guy from the last issue. I really like this first panel where she's sitting in the window. Yeah. Just the way it's laid out and the way it's colored and the way the lighting's done and everything. I don't know. It's just a... pleasing panel to look and at. And the, yeah. the way the trees are rendered yeah. is real good. It kind of sets that like, scene up for us. Kind of brush strokey. Well, I was thinking even like the more technical, like the way that the trees were oh, yeah. actually painted. It's really good. Bob examines her. I like how he doubles down on being a Swiss doctor. He's like, if you have a problem with my being here, you can call Mr. Horace right now. And they're like, no, that won't be necessary. Dr. Hyder says, caution is his second nature. And so... Bob, I don't know how well he knows how to examine her. He just snaps his fingers around her eyes or whatever. And she's been this way the whole seven years of her stay? Actually, no, Dr. Hyder says. When she was first brought in, she was possessed of profound mania. Screaming incoherently permanently damaged her vocal cords. We didn't think the shrieking would ever stop. And as he's talking, we zoom into her eye. And so we go into this flashback. And so... This scene is really messed up, right? It's it's really gory. Oh, yeah. I do mm-hmm. not like this at all. So basically what happens is she runs into 
Wald and his goons like chopping up a guy with cleavers. I remember that red good. cleaver was on yeah. the cover of issue two. And she just starts screaming. And Walt comes over and he's like, you got to stop screaming, baby. Come on. I mean it, Gina. Stop screaming now. And as he's talking to her, she like falls to her knees. And then she's like in the blood uh. on the floor. And she's just screaming and screaming. So I guess after this, they had to take her and yeah, they just dropped her off good. at this place or whatever. She was so traumatized by what she saw. It's also interesting that her her, shawl, her fox shawl also fell into the blood. So it looks like she and the fox are laying in blood. Oh, together. yeah. That is an interesting image. I wonder if that's a reference to anything. Huh. It's a reference to don't wear fucking foxes. Right, don't, yeah. don't wear fur. make. Don't make scarves out of animals. Don't f- use the fur unless you're, if that's your originally your culture, like you're an indigenous person, that's cool. But otherwise, don't fucking do that. Right. It sucks. Yeah. And so we cut back to her in the hospital and we kind of see like, this is what put her in that state, right? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Oh, now. yeah. Well, that's, that's a bad time. So part of me started wondering because, you know, she was you know, freaked out, obviously, and screaming. And right. they dropped her off at the hospital, and they said that she just wouldn't stop screaming until her vocal cords. I just wonder, because this is in the 1930s in a mental institution, do you think they lobotomized her? Mm, they no. don't ever say it, but that's just something they did. No, because wouldn't they, if they weren't trying to make that obvious to us, we, they, she would have, like, scars and stuff. But no, I. Uh, she looks like... This is the thing, is her surroundings make me make it seem like she's well taken care of. She's... She's got clean clothes on. Oh yeah, yeah. Her oh, her oh, hair is clean yeah. and brushed and Right. It's they let her grow it out like they obviously are like kind of she seems like fine other than the fact that she's, you know, catatonic. Yeah, there are a couple uh, little statements in the story that make me think that Dr. Hyder really does care about yeah, this patient. Yeah. Right. And so that would also kind of lead me to believe that there might not they might not be as quick to lobotomize their patients right maybe this is all speculation on my part just from this like couple of pages we've got in the hospital yeah i think if she was lobotomized they would mention it right but but anyway so bob asked if he could actually i just looked it up they didn't start really using them until the 50s okay there you go okay well hey also glad that that's not a thing for the most part anyway, oh yeah that's horrible agreed. well i was gonna say also like on get the lobster the little guy he actually like had yeah. scars remember all across his forehead where they had put the controls in there I don't yeah. know, that's the same thing as lobotomizing no, but anyway different bob asks if he can take her chart to study but the caregiver dr Hyder, says no nothing was said about asking for her records and he hadn't heard from horace in two years he pays for her care but there are rules there are limits dr Hyder says and so we cut to bob recounting the events of the lobster i love what he says here and then he gave me some malarkey about confidentiality and protecting <laughs> the patients <laughs> Jeez, i like the uh they've got like a crate with a hot plate with a coffee pot oh some cups thank of coffee, you for pointing that out some playing cards you yeah. know like it's very that's where that's a little chill station yeah yeah the chill station <laughs> The lobster and Bill at the chill station, hanging out. Bob almost looks like a waiter coming up to talk to them oh, or something sure. in that scene, right? right? Oh, he really does. What will you gentlemen be having today? Yeah. <laughs> Bob tells them that he thinks the Miss Wald angle is a dead end. But the lobster says time is running out. Since Wald already has Cindy, they need to find him before he finds us. Wald knows about Cindy's connection to him, and sooner or later, we'll hear from him, the lobster says. And so we see Harry sweating bullets waiting for the call. This guy is so good at lighting. 
It's oh, like yeah, really, yeah. yeah, it's very, it's so impressive. It's so impressive. He always knows where light is coming from, how it hits, what it looks like. I mean, he's clearly he developed right, his right. skills over, you know, and it's one of those things where uh, they talk about later in the, oh man, tell me this guy has to be at least 60. He's got to be having done Oh, the afterward, He's yeah. 25. Yeah. Tanchi's on that's, that's so awesome. So really impressive. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit when yeah. we talked about James Heron. Like his penciling is letting the colorist know where the light is coming right. from too. And so it's mm-hmm. like informing the colorist. And here he's doing yeah. both. But in either event, anyway. The folds of the yeah. clothing, the light sources, the colors, the where everything hits, where it goes. It's just very. There's a lot of technical prowess. It's easy prowess. to take that for yeah. granted because it looks right. Yeah, it's easy to take that for granted. I went a little Christopher Walken there, sorry, uh, but it's it's just impressive, and I'm really appreciate it. So back with Wald, you know, he's writing articles of surrender and talking to a ghost pirate. Like, <laughs> I think he started write like the lobsters articles of surrender, right? You know, like, right. But I mean, yeah, it is so weird. And I just noticed this. I didn't notice it when I first read through like, the box behind Cindy says Wald, don't touch. Right. Oh, and it has a lock on it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. What is this dress that she's wearing? Oh, right. They've put her in some sort of outfit. Like, it kind of looks like... I didn't even catch that, but you're right. What's the deal with What is that? Is that... Wait, dress. is that what she was wearing already? Uh, nope. No. No, she was definitely <laughs> Hell not. no. Hold on, wait. I'm it's sorry. Like I gotta go back. It's like they put her in this very obviously not her style. It's, it's got a... No, dress. you're right. It's got like a, almost like an 18th century look. Like a pirate. Movie, what yeah. movie did they do this in? Because there was a movie where they made her change into a dress... For dinner on the ship. Right. And she's wearing this old dress. Oh, what fucking movie is okay. this? Okay. I don't know. Somebody will tell us. Somebody yeah. will tell us in the listener Somebody feedback. Send us a hey, you damn guys. guys. But, but, but I do like this scene because I'm kind of wondering about this whole pirate thing. Like, is this really a ghost pirate? Like, or is Wald just like losing his mind? And so here the pirate tells him that Cindy's trying to get out of her ropes. And then he goes and he checks and he's like, you are getting trying to get out of your ropes. And so when I read this right. first page, I'm thinking, oh shit, that pirate is like really a thing. Yeah. But then so I saw it comes in and he's like, Walt, what are you doing? And then we see that she's in yeah, handcuffs. Yeah, weird. Yeah, so I really liked how that kind of plays with, I, I've never read this before. So right. it kind of plays with what is this pirate that Walt is talking yeah. to? You could kind of justify it in your head by being like, well, maybe he only has influence over one person. Right. <laughs> and there's a way, like it's the, specifically a ghost magic where you right. can only really. Yeah. Well, and he, he's spending a lot of time with the hand. So yeah. I was thinking maybe the ghost is coming but then out. The hand right. oh, anyway, but we, we, won't, we don't know yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, the hand we'll just talk. has to be, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> We'll talk, about, oh, we'll talk about when, it soon. When that guy happened, I was like, "What the?" So this guy is—is he—is this guy actually delusional, or is he like it's right, weird? Yeah, you, don't really you know. go back and forth with this scene on that, which is cool. I like that. I do like that. When I saw asks what he's doing, Cindy says, "You know what he's doing? He's losing his mind, is what." And so Walt is like, I'm just daydreaming. And then so Isog finds the Articles of Surrender, and he just rips them in half. I love yes. that panel where he's like, enough! His face is all red, and the background is just kind of like all these like anger lines, right. I guess. Isn't this painting back here a famous painting? I'm going to talk about that. Oh. I'm going to talk about the paintings. Uh, there's a better panel later on, but thank okay. you for pointing that out. I like this desk. It reminds me of a roll-top desk, but it seems like it's not. Oh, yeah. But it's still, it's still cool. Oh, it is. It's, it's that one that has the kind of roll that kind of Right. Curves. I was yeah. looking for that, but I guess Well, it goes not. into the desk. Right. Well, it goes in the top. There's okay. not a thing for that. But anyway, I like it. <laughs> well, you, can see the, you can see the track line. Oh, like yeah. That. On the side. Oh, 
you're right. Well, I love it. I love a roll top desk. Well, I, like the, I like the discovery. lamp that's on top of the desk. Yeah. I've always wanted one of those. Those are easy to find. You can totally find one of those. Well, okay. I wanted one when I was a kid. Now I don't care. Look, if I come across one, I'm going to get it for you. So. <laughs> Isog rips up the articles of surrender. You can't be daydreaming, he says, or passing the time. Your mind needs to be focused on this operation on killing the lobster. You must both be nuts if you think you can bait the lobster with me, Cindy says. I had enough of you. Right, and so Isog, he takes off his scarf and he ties it around Cindy's mouth so she can't talk to him. And I think he's also worried about Wald because he sees that Wald is losing it and so Cindy right. could say stuff to him sure. or whatever, right? It's a good panel because, again, she's just pissed. Yeah. <laughs> she's fucking... Isog says he's going to call the colored gentleman McTell. That's how he refers to him. And take care of the rest. All Wald has to do is watch Cindy and keep her quiet. May I count on you for that? And Wald kind of hesitates, but after receiving an affirming thumbs up from the ghost pirate, El Bogavante, he says, absolutely, nothing to worry about. <laughs> Everything to worry about, Isog mutters to himself as he walks out. The thumbs up from the ghost pirate. <laughs> this, this whole scene is just great. It's, it's all, really it's all good. like, uh, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Right on. I could just hear him like as he's walking out doing it. Over at the pier, the police are investigating the ghost pirate ship, and they discover it's been rigged up. Someone spent a fortune to make it run all quiet and remotely. Now if they could find the quote-unquote ghost that jumped off, and so that's a nice reveal too. Over at the movie theater, we get this scene from Tarzan and his mate. So I actually went, or it might be a scene from Tarzan Escapes. You guys let me know in the feedback. So I found a scene of Tarzan, Johnny Voicemuller fighting an alligator, but I couldn't find these panels like where he's got like the knife in his mouth and then he pushes the alligator from beneath. Like I didn't see that, but a lot of it looked the same. But in the comments of the video, someone said he fought this same alligator three times over the series. So like, <laughs> so maybe in it, it's from uh, Tarzan Escapes because the clip that I saw from was from Tarzan and his mate. So uh, anyway. That uh, prop alligator must have been expensive. They're going to get their money's worth out right, of it. Right, right. <laughs> um, I, think, I think it's hilarious because this is like the scene that prompted Harry to tell his story. Yes, exactly. At the uh, beginning. So that was that's pretty cool. Yeah, it must be from Tarzan Escapes. And so we see that actor guy who had the pirate paint on his finger. He's asleep in the theater as the movie plays. Suddenly he hears a voice whispering, Peter Awam from Franklin County, just shy of the bronze in the high board at Los Angeles, eliminated in the trials this year, never got to Berlin, and now you're here in New York, my city. It's the lobster behind him. And so Awam gets up and starts jumping over all the seats. And I love this pacing, right? Because then we turn the page, womp, and then there's Harry jumps out and just punches this guy backwards. And then we get this nice effect, like, I guess Owam's vision is all messed up or whatever. He's seen stars or whatever. He sees Bob, Harry, and Bill standing over him. Jesus, Harry, I think you broke his jaw, Bob says. It's a good effect. 3D effect. Yeah. Right. A double vision effect going right. on. So I wanted to men mention this. I think this is interesting. So the guy that played Tarzan was an Olympic diver. 
Oh. And right. they, they got him to be Tarzan because he could go underwater and he could jump off the thing and all that stuff, right? And he's cool and with so, like heights and stuff, I guess, and jumping around. And so what we're going to see here is this fictional character, Peter Awam, he is also, the lobster just mentioned, he was a swimmer. Olympic diver. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so he was he was fictionally hired, we're going to see by ISOG, to be like in a, he thought he was going to be in a pirate movie. Oh, weird. And so that's kind of a nice parallel with Johnny Weissmuller. And how they got him to be Tarzan because of he could swim and all that. As the gang interrogate the actor, Peter, now with a busted jaw, they have to keep Harry from killing the guy when he says he doesn't know anything. Finally, the lobster calls Harry off. And he asks Peter what he does know. He explains that he was working at this gas station. Did you notice the brand of the gas station? Zinc oil? Coil? Zinc oil. Zinc oil. Oh, shit. Yeah, so that's a nice little detail there. You know, it's kind of, it's not necessarily the sepia tone, you know what I mean? But right. it, it goes along is, with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It says Lionhead Economy Gas or whatever, Lionhead Gas. I wonder if that's an actual, I didn't look for that one. Well, it's first grade gas. I yeah. would like to know how much it was for a gallon of gas. What well, kind of looks like a five right there. Let us know in the Hey Damn Guys, how much was gas in 1936? Go- this is something I could probably Google. No, just... let them tell us. All right. <laughs> Awam says this little Hungarian guy approached him. We see Isog there. And he said he was a movie producer and they needed a swimmer. He could look like a movie producer, right? You see this guy in all white show up with a little business card. You might you might believe sure, that. Yeah. yeah. Why not? And he said they needed a swimmer. And so he came to Manhattan for his audition. They we had see- a whole they have a whole thing here, like a poster. Yeah. The Pirate's and, Ghost. And so I so he says um that it was gonna be a sequel. The ghost was back for revenge. So I guess this is a fictional <laughs> this is a fictional movie within this Hellboy universe but the actors are real. Adolfi Jean Menju was an American actor. His career spanned both silent films and talkies. He appeared in such films as Charlie Chaplin's A Woman of Paris where he played the lead role and he was also in the original A Star is Born. Marion Cecilia Davies was an American film actress, producer, screenwriter, and philanthropist. She appeared in several Broadway musicals and one film, Runaway Romany, in 1917, and was also the mistress of newspaper tycoon William Hurst. And then we also see on the bottom it says Johnny, and so I think that's Johnny Weissmuller. Because he's mm. like, he didn't want to come back. And so, because they said the role was too small for him. So that's how they roped him into this thing. They had a whole story behind it. We see that they built up the ship, and we also see them applying all the ghost makeup to him. He says, steering the boat from the main mast controls was a little tricky. So I guess, like, he could steer it from underneath, and then he jumps off. I was happy to dive off at last, but the studio boat never came to pick me up, right? So that's when he realized, I guess, that it was fake. Anyway, he says that then he saw the paper and he realized he was a distraction for the little Russian fella. He's never hurt anybody before or been in trouble. And so the lobster says, that's true. Harry says if he doesn't know anything, they're wasting time and there's nothing more that they can do right now. Actually, there's a lot more, the lobster says. Isn't that right, Mr. Awam? And so we cut over with Walden Isog. Isog throws over the anchor to secure the boathouse, and he asks Walt to help him move Miss Tynan. Aye, and it's a mistake you'll be making, Arnie, my lad, El Bogavante warns. This weren't our plan, were it? Maybe we're making a mistake, Wald questions. 
Isog says, They need Tynan alive. The lobster will know it's a trap. She must be alive for him to come for her. You have tied an excellent knot here, sir, Isog says. I feel like he's trying to build up his confidence mm, a little, or he's right. like, you know what I mean, trying to butter him up. We've learned that like that's his strategy, you mm. know? You know, it shows this check for the actor guy. He got $5,000. Mm. I just want to see how much that would be in today's money. Yeah. $83,000. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so he was like, hey, that's kind of a lot of money. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Part. Good detail there. Thank you for that. Also, they have this giant bomb ready as well in case the lobster manages to get past the armed men. But Wald just doesn't know. But I do, Isog says. Just a second, Wald responds. He's got to get his pirate hand. Uh-huh. So I want to talk about this a little bit, and thanks again, Matt, for pointing these out. Here you can see these etchings a little better. The one on the left is woman being carried to a libidinous satyr from 1540 by Leon de Vent, who was a French etcher, I guess. It's an etching. Nice, yeah. The other one on the other side is Fons and Bacantes, 16th century by Hieronymus Hopfer, um, who was a German artist. And it says, after Veneziano, who was an Italian artist. So Veneziano did a version of this, but it was only three of them. And then Hopfer did this other version where there's more of them. The The picture is actually bigger, but it's kind of a tribute to this previous one. So anyway, I was cool. so happy that I was able to find those. And so I thought it was interesting... I was able to find it by typing into Google Seder etching and just scrolling until I could find it. Oh, wow. So I think that's interesting that they both depict satyrs. Satyrs are characterized by their ribaldry and are well known as lovers of wine, music, dancing, and women. They are companions of the god Dionysus and were believed to inhabit remote locales such as woodlands, mountains, and pastures. It's super cool that the artist was like, I'm going to put these here in this room on the their little houseboat i know that okay so this one the one over here on the right i feel like i've seen that one before yeah they're both pretty famous i think yeah and i'll post pictures of them on our instagram this week and then there's like two other etchings that i was not i didn't have enough time actually to look for but there's a man on a horse or a person on a horse and then what looks like a pig and so i'm sure that those are also actual real etchings if you know what they are let me know i'll try to look for them again if i have a chance Love looking up obscure etchings. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I love how that uh, we see what's in the box that said, Walt, oh, don't yeah. open. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Oh, thank you for pointing that out. I didn't yeah. even catch that detail. A very cartoony TNT box. Right. Like. That's the giant bomb. As they sail out, oh, laddie, what are ye about? Tis your doom, I say. Tis your doom, El Bogavante warns. <laughs> <laughs> i love this it, it does remind me of scooby-doo that big yeah. panel where the oh, yeah. lo- where the ghost is taunting him and the expression on wald's face you know he's so frightened i just really love all this it was very fun to read this we cut over to mr horace fancy pants being awoken by a phone call it's dr Hyder who is watching over miss wald and check out his robe right 
Did you notice that? Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so, fancy. So, Silk robe. last week, Matt kept talking about the Black Goddess. So, the first two pages of this story were taken directly from Guy Davis, the Black Goddess. The Black Goddess also dealt with the ghost lobster, and it also dealt with two giant gold dragons that came out of the sky. Remember, Liz started turning oh, the frogs right. into those giant gold dragons that kind of gold were dragons. able to like burn everything. Nice. And so, yeah, I thought that that was an interesting touch right there. And he tells Mr. Horace, we have a problem. And we see the chair where Miss Wald was sitting in that picturesque scene from earlier. It's empty. And the window in front of it is broken. Looks like it was broken from the outside because there's glass on the on the ground. Right at the right, at the right, floor, right. right, yeah. Either that, it was broken from the inside, and that's just shit got pulled away. Some stuff could fall. Yeah. Sure, that's interesting. Let's talk about that again later. I do want to come back to that. Chapter three, and so again, the the that whole book theme really is cool. really nice this on this like, one. Like a leather texture, and yeah. it even has like the rope on it. I wonder if that's twine. real rope, right? Is it? I looks wonder. Like, it looks like like twine. it was scanned in like that or something. I don't know. I wonder how they created that effect. And again, it has that same theme. In the middle this time, we have the pirate mummified hand that Isog gave to Wald. On the left side, we have Wald, El Bogavante, and Isog. And on the other side, we have the lobster, Harry, and Cindy. And so these are kind of our main characters yeah. from this through line. We open the scene, and we have this great scene with these two goons. Again, I love these little character moments. This one big guy is talking to the skinny guy, and he says, I can't say I ever much like tying up ladies, using them for bait. He's talking about Cindy tying and tied up on the houseboat. Soon as you become king, that'll be the new rule, Ronnie, the skinny guy says. Till then, we're getting paid to grease the lobster. Anyhow, we can do it. But it's nice to know chivalry ain't dead. Can't see what Chevrolet has got to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> And he just he, and he repeats, I, I just don't like tying up ladies. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like that precedent FDR. Remember that joke yeah. from earlier? I also like how the first panel, all these leaves and grass and stuff, the branches and whatever, it's all in silhouette. And yeah. the important information that we need to be focusing on is is Cindy. Right. And then it cuts out. Like, who's looking through the bushes? It's these guys. Like the yeah. cinematography it's of really it. really good. And yeah, I like that. That's a great way to frame that scene. And, you know, this guy drew and colored all of this. Yeah. He thought it out. He planned. Like, this is, it's really quite good. Yeah. It makes me wonder if he pronounced, instead of saying chivalry, he maybe pronounced it shivery. Yeah. Kind of, kind of <laughs> almost sound like Chevy, shivery. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That's not shivery ain't dead. <laughs> Over with Wald and Isog, Wald is pretty spooked as the pirate continues to haunt him. Isog tells him to calm down. Oh, and ain't he the one for telling you to calm down? Ain't he just the one? Because his honor ain't at stake now, is it? But yours is, matey. Yours and mine both, El Bogavante taunts. What are you doing here with this plotter, this schemer, this sneak? He can be what he may, but not us. The fight, it ain't here under the bushes, in the shadows. It's out there on that boat along with the thrill and the glory. Out there, out there, my lad. And so, Walt, he's like just pouring sweat off of his face. I want to go back on the boat. I need to, he tells Isaac. <laughs> that look on Isaac's face is like, oh, fucking, not again? <laughs> <laughs> and so Isaac's like, what are you talking about? We need to face the lobster like men, Walt says. That's what El Bogavante would do. 
Islog's like, you're talking about a 19th century fairy tale. He's no myth. This is his hand. There's his birthmark. He's as real today as he was on the high seas, Wald says, and he pulls out the hand, and here's where Islog reveals. I stole it from a pauper's grave, he says. I mummified it myself in salt, and I tattooed this birthmark with food dye. That is all your precious stupid hand is. And he takes it and he chucks it into the water. No, Wald screams. Why would you do that? He tries to go after it. And Isaac says, it's a fake. It was part of my ploy to re-engage you. After the lobster almost killed you, you seemed happy to stay in hiding. El Bogavante was right. And Wald grabs Isaac from around the neck. You're a plotter, a sneak, a goddamn liar. And he drowns Isaac in the water. What'd you guys think about that? It's kind of brutal, but I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, he is a plotter and a sneak, but I mean, it's like, Izog, you've been planning and scheming ever since we first met you right. to get to this point, and then all of a sudden, uh, fucking Walt just loses it and kills him. Right. And it was his own device, too. He's the one yeah. who re who implemented this whole pirate hand thing and brought him the book and all this kind of stuff, so he kind of yeah. even put it in motion as well. It's super dark. And then it makes you wonder, I mean... I mean, so this is where everything started going, what the fuck is going on with Wald? Right, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that reveal that the hand was fake? We had already kind of talked about that a little bit, right? I was like, okay, one, that makes perfect sense because... Remember Jerry Turnbull talked about how they were different from yeah. the flashback and, you yeah. know... Yeah, I mean, it was just like, and then we started wondering were there other lobster hands out there or just other lobster people? No, it's just fucking Izog fucking... Yeah. <laughs> stole somebody's hand, mummified it, and tattooed it. And I was right. just like, that's fucking brilliant writing. <laughs> <laughs> the gangsters, they observe all this happen, and they wonder what to do since Isog hired them. But Wald's the money man, so they decide to stick around and do the job. But where the hell is he going? Wald is paddling over to Cindy. He starts to untie her, and he tells her she won't be hurt if she does as he says. And Cindy reminds him that there's a giant bomb on the boat. Bomb? Wald responds. Like, does he not remember any of that? You know what I mean? Wald, a voice yells. You can't escape, Wald. Not from justice. What do you guys think of this? <laughs> Why not just go ahead and use that pirate ship that Izog set up earlier? Yeah, and so you know he told Peter um, there is more that you can do. So I assume they tried to figure out how to control it, you yeah. know, from him since he knew how to drive it. And I love, I just love the lobster here on the mast with the megaphone and all this kind of stuff. It is so great. Oh God, Wald says to himself in fear. You made your own bed, laddie, the pirate says. Did it yourself, and I'm putting ye down, I am. Oh, and thank you for getting me hand back to me. And so now he doesn't have the hook hand. He has the hand that was thrown into the water. Wald rushes to get off the houseboat with Cindy, and this next page is just incredible, right? As the gangsters shoot at the lobster on the mast, he's just, like, fearless, right? Yep. Or does he have nothing to fear? Because he's a ghost. He's a ghost. Right, again, and this is what I was thinking when I was reading this, right? How can he just stand there? And just not worry about all this gunfire. I mean, they see the whole side of the pier is shooting at him. Uh, and I love how they did all the sound effects, too. They're all, like, different colors and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. They kind of had a similar effect in Metal Monsters. The lobster releases the cannons, and they're not fake this time. He has truly become the El Bogavante pirate lobster, right? <laughs> this is so awesome. I was like, God, this is so great how it all came back around 
where he is this actual pirate in this moment. Not only do the cannons totally destroy all those gangsters, but the ghost pirate show blows up too. Well, it got next to the uh, houseboat that had the bomb on it. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, you're right. It wasn't. It wasn't spontaneous explosion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we see Wald and Cindy. They escaped in time. They're running away from the explosion. Wald has her at gunpoint, and she's still cuffed. He tells her to stay down, and suddenly he hears rustling in the background. Wald holds out his gun, and we see Mrs. Wald emerge. Arnie, she whispers. Gina, Wald questions. He tells her to stay back. You don't want nothing to do with me, he says. Oh, Arnie. She touches his face, and then he just, like, breaks down. He has this real emotional moment. And he calls out to her. He like grovels at her feet. I'm so sorry, baby. Please forgive me, Gina. Please. Somebody picks up the gun and it's Harry. And now he's going to shoot Wald, still filled with anger at him for kidnapping Cindy. But Cindy calls Harry off. Can't you see he's finished, she asks. This isn't you, Cindy pleads. I don't want it to be you, Harry. And I love this page. It's almost a totally silent page. Mm-hmm. You know, as Harry, he kind of looks at her. He walks over and he uncuffs her and they embrace and kiss. So there's like this real like emotional moment here between the two couples. Now they're both reunited. Blam, 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 blam. Jeez. The lobster killed Wald. And Gina Wald screams and goes into another stupor. And we get an up close on the lobster's face. Justice. I mean... What do you think about this? I don't know about that. I don't know if I agree that that was justice. (laughs) So let's think about this because I talked a little bit with Matt about this and they've done something interesting with Wald over this series where they've made him almost like a little kid. Right. And I think that gives you sympathy for him. But to the lobster, he's done a lot of fucked up shit to his crew and to him right. and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And he's and the lobster has been after him for a long for time. a long time right. now. You know what I mean? And like, as far as the wife, and this is kind of what Matt said was the wife is kind of like, you married a mobster. Like, how right. did did you not know that he was like? I mean, she we saw her wearing foxes and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, did you not know that there was something he was doing something under the table? Like, she, to the she, lobster, it's just like, she, yeah, that's justice. Right. She might not have known though. I mean, he may have. She just ended up being like collateral damage. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that is interesting. We've talked about this so many times before about what side is the lobster really on? Is he misguided? You know, and all this kind of stuff in his quest for justice. So really interesting way to wrap that up right there. We cut over to Melville Dale Asylum, which is a fictional place. They have Miss Wald back. She's also returned to her catatonic state. She was found outside the gates in this morning, her feet and gown all muddy. She's all right, isn't she? Mr. Horace asks. She wasn't bleeding. She didn't have any wounds or broken bones. But no, Mr. Horace. She's not all right, Dr. Hyder responds. Yeah, so that is messed up. That is like a messed up beat there. You know what I mean? And they do yeah. take they do take a page to show us the collateral damage. We cut to Grand Central Terminal. Grand Central Terminal is a commuter rail terminal located in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. The terminal is the third busiest train station in North America after New York Penn Station and Toronto Union Station. 
The distinctive architecture and interior design of Grand Central Terminal Station House have earned it several landmark distinctions, including as a National Historic Landmark. It is one of the world's 10 most visited tourist attractions. And when I was doing these notes, this all seemed familiar to me. I was like, I've already researched Grand Central Terminal. Do you remember it showing up in any other titles? Do you remember who made it their hideout? Oh, yes, I do. Uh, that was the, the Dick Flame. <laughs> the Buff Flame. The Buff Flame. Yeah. he was. We, last time we saw him, he was residing in Grand Central Terminal, and he cracked the shell of the Ogden Oh, yeah. man. That was freaky. So we have this scene with Cindy and Harry, and Harry's like, this is the way I like it. And she's like, we could be this way in Chicago. And he's like, could we like this, walking arm in arm in a crowd and nobody even looking at us? That's why I love New York City. Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting, you know, they kind of touch on maybe it wouldn't be accepted, you know, if they were walking hand in hand in Chicago. See, I I didn't know much about Chicago politics back then, but I mean, it is definitely a real concern that he has. Right. And Cindy's like, you could be a policeman. Seriously, it wasn't a policeman who found Walt and saved your life, who ended his reign of terror. And Cindy's like, how can you go on working for a man like that, so cold, inhuman? But Harry says he saves lives there. He matters there. And even knowing him is dangerous for her. I understand that, he says. I understand that you have to go, but I have to stay. And so the train conductor is like, all aboard. And she's like, oh God, Harry. It's all right, Cindy. I'll come visit, Harry says. I promise. And so we see Cindy on the train going away and she looks pretty solemn in that panel it also looks kind of like smoke is starting to billow or something like it's like like it's almost like it's an ending like we're not going to see them together again. right okay yeah that is an interesting touch there and i wanted to so i wanted to ask you guys what you thought of this whole cindy harry through line you know um just like we i guess we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier but this is how it ends up as they do part at the end well, it's like I said earlier, I think Cindy's like my favorite character out of this whole lobster uh, set. But I really enjoy the relationship between the two of them. And it makes me sad to see them going off yeah. like this. But it feels right for the characters. Yeah. You were kind of talking earlier about sacrificing an emotional relationship. Yeah, so that's where I kind of wanted to talk about that again. Is um, not only with them, but also this whole thing with the lobster killing Wald. I felt like that kind of, um, the lobster, he has no emotion. You know what I mean? And then regarding the broken glass and which direction, like, how did she get out? Did they break her out to distract Wald? Or did she leave on her own? Because they found out about her. Well, I mean, Bob went and visited her and to address her state. So did they go and break her out and bring her out there to the water? So they either broke her out and then dropped her off again uh, because you right, know, yeah. they said she was found out with, you know, where, where she was found. Yeah. Or she woke up, broke out, found Wald, right. knew where he knew, instinctively knew who he was. And Only then, for that to happen immediately. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Either one could happen in this right, universe. Right. Yeah. With you. Wow. That's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, that's never really truly stated. So we get this last scene. I like how they always give us these little character moments. And so we close on one here as the train leaves out of the city. Out in the Hudson, we see the deputy and a sheriff talking to a fisherman. He's found the damnedest thing. The pirate hand. Looks like it came straight off a mummy, the sheriff says. 
The damnedest thing, the fisherman says. That's what I say. Who do you suppose it belongs to, deputy? Oh, I'm sure we'll never know that, the deputy responds. The end. Very classic, the end. Yeah, it reminds me of the That's All Folks or something at the end of the Looney Tunes. Oh, and I love how these cops, it's like before forensic science. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's like a hand. Just pick it up with your bare hands. It's a mummy hand. They're yeah. all over the place. They're like, they're not worried at all about like destroying evidence or right. whatever. They just pick it up instead of, you know, treating it like a crime scene. I bet you in the next panel that's not here is like you see the guy just chucking it chucking into the Chucking it water. back right. into the yeah. lake, sure. Yeah. So I did want to read this. Like Danielle mentioned earlier. For the afterword, there is a letter by Clem Robbins, and we don't really hear from Clem Robbins a whole lot, talking about Tanchi Zanyich. I was talking to Matt a little bit about this, and he hadn't read it, so um, that's okay. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Tanchi Zanyich broke my heart. It was in 2010 when I first got to letter him on Lobster Johnson, The Burning Hand. I remember calling Scott to find out who this guy with the funny name who drew like an angel, and more importantly, how old he was. Please tell me he's 60 years old, I begged. He's 25, Scott replied. My sons were older than that. I hung up the phone, a sadder but wiser man. Tanchi's is a world formed of blobs of black, of flattened sound effects, of characters taken from old movies and expressionistic lighting, and more than anything else, of lines, thick creamy lines. His characters inhabit a world of lines. They're not particularly photographic like Neil Adams or Joe Kubert's, more like Milton Caniff's or Dick Sprang's or Chester Gould's lines that signify no reality except the reality conceived in the mind of a born draughtsman. I once wrote a book in which I defined drawing as a cat-and-mouse game played between the artist and the viewer, in which the latter's suspension of belief is pushed back as far as possible. By that definition, Tanchi Zanich has got the eye of a tiger. If we know what's good for us, we believe whatever he tells us to believe. He tells us to believe some awfully interesting things. The cold-hearted, mask-like expressions of the lobster. The achingly lovely Cindy Tynan. Isog is played by Peter Lorre. The central casting pirate's ghost. But Zanyusha's most entertaining work is given to the bit players, like the butterball thug with the Tommy gun in Chapter 3 of The Pirate's Ghost. <laughs> His hand in panel 1 of page 10 looks like what you'd see if you inflated a rubber glove. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. In other words, it's absolutely perfect. In Tanchi's world... Dress extras defy the laws of draftsmanship, of human proportion. If they want to look real, they better become stars. It's like the world of the legendary DC artist Nick Carty, whose heroes were drawn formulaically, where the bit players all looked like your grocer or your favorite waitress. But it's Carty turned on its ear. In Zonja's world, reality is reserved for the big shots. It's a pie-in-the-face reality, and it's hard to ignore as a primal scream. This particular book is crammed with big shots and horrific crises. Isog's drowning, the wraith-like Gina, Cindy's desperate attempt to spare Wald's life, Wald's too-little-too-late attempt at redemption, Harry caught in the middle, good writers, and John Arcudi is about as good as a writer as comics is likely to have, like to tell their stories elliptically, implying much and spelling out next to nothing, but they're limited by the ability of the ones with the brush in his hand. Arcudis, whose stories have been illustrated by some of the most capable people the industry's ever seen, hit the jackpot with Tanchi Zanyich. With a few deceptively simple lines, Zanyich lets you peer into his character's thoughts. Subtext is nice, but it's only possible if the artist can break down every barrier between the character and the reader. 
I'm on record claiming that Joe Kubert is the best artist who ever drew comics, but Kubert's one limitation was an inability to suggest irony. What you saw was what you got. In Tanchi's over, the irony drips from the page. Arcudi, whose Tanchi credits with pretty much everything wonderful about Lobster Johnson, is in safe hands. How a Croatian kid could so totally understand and illustrate the New York City of the Great Depression baffles me, where he got his wit, his irony, his magical sense of composition, his seemingly effortless way of storytelling, and for God's sake, those arabesque line, so confident that it borders on arrogance, baffles me. But I'm a painter before whose eyes float a few hundred images of comic drawings every month, and there's nothing more depressing in my life than a third-rate artwork. For six years, Lobster Johnson's been a treat. It floats in here irregularly. I guess these pictures, which look so easy, take a lot of time and agony to produce, and deadlines get missed. It brings to mind the agony and the ecstasy with Scott in the role of Rex Harrison's Pope Julius and Tanchi as Charlton Heston's Michelangelo. When will you make an end of it? Bellows the Pope to the man in the scaffold painting the Sistine ceiling. When it is done, replies the painter. It's okay with me, Chuck. I'll take you on any terms at all. Clem Robbins. Yeah, I thought that was so amazing how he wrote that. And so yeah. you don't think about it, but like he has to letter so many different things. And then when these pages would come on to his work, you know, um, in his lineup, um, it's just amazing to for him to express how much pleasure he had working with Tanshi. Yeah, I actually read this um, right before I came over here. And then the, that one part where he's like, nothing more depressing in my life than third-rate artwork than he has to letter. And I'm just sitting there picturing him going, God damn it, right. this shit again. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how he's a professional. He never says who those people are. Right, there you go. Oh, and I just didn't know he was a painter. Yeah, he mentions his book. It's called The Art of Figure Drawing, published in 2003. Yeah, so check that out. It's available in a variety of languages. Well, and it also says he's a painter whose pictures are in collections and galleries all over the country. Right. Wow, that's like, incredible. Yeah, and we just know him for his lettering on comic books. <laughs> all right, and like I mentioned earlier, I got to talk to Matt. We couldn't make our schedules line up, but I did want to get his thoughts on this story since it's a big lobster story and there are so many through lines. So yeah, now I we're going to. Yeah, we do miss Matt. So now we're going to cut over to Matt Strackbine for his thoughts. Back to you, Matt Strackbine. Take it away, Matt. Hey, Matt, thanks for joining me on Friday, and I'm so sorry that we couldn't make our schedules line up this week, but I did want to get your impressions of this awesome Lobster Johnson story. You know, like I talked about last week, I had never read this one, um, so this was my oh, yeah. first time actually reading it, and I was just like, God, I loved it so much. I must have read this story like three or four times in the last couple of days. Oh, cool. And cool. I just really enjoy it. Um, it was such a treat, and I really enjoyed kind of... I felt like it was kind of like the tie-up. It was like the end of a trilogy almost, like with The Burning Hand, Get the Lobster, and then this one. And even though there's been stories in between that kind of link together, I feel like this is Zonich's and Mignola and Arcudi's big lobster trilogy, or these kind of three stories. Maybe you could include um, Metal Monsters with this one. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, I was going to say that. I think it's almost like a part one and a part two, even though they're two discrete storylines. But yeah, I mean, um, I just really enjoyed well, it. I, I loved all the stuff with Wald, but we got to talk about this Guy Davis scene in the beginning, right? Oh, right. Yeah. So I was going to ask you the same thing I asked you last time. Did you pull out your copy of Black Goddess? Oh, I did for this one. I definitely yeah. did. Yeah, because these pages are exactly the same pretty much, right? <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, you can see where there was a different angle or something like that, but I, you know, I just assume he didn't want to ape Guy Davis exactly. You know, right, he didn't right. want to just do the exact same thing. And and also um, in The Black Goddess, that was a retelling. So you know how we always remember things different, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the real scene. So maybe they were talking about that, like Scott Alley and Mignola and everyone oh, okay. was talking about that. Cool. Um, that's just kind of how it came across to me because the changes in in angle or perspective did seem deliberate right, right um and so this black goddess came out in january 2009 and the pirate's ghost comes out in 2017 march right so that's like did they know they were going to include this scene <laughs> right yeah it's it, it always boggles my mind like how they link these things together or they just go hey remember that one thing that had that we did in bprd let's just rehash that or whatever that yeah. throw that back in there yeah and talking about it now it's almost like it is cool because this doesn't have a lot to do with the rest of the story does it no not really it's just kind of like there was a thread i think in metal monsters where she was like hey you know what about when you were doing all this stuff i don't like that and i think that this is kind of oh. like echoing that again she brings it up again you know you know i don't like when you tell those stories i get worried about you or whatever so here here's what i just realized this is like his story that he tells oh this that's is like the, harry's he, it's story. his go-to story yeah everybody's got a story like that i love that so that's that's probably how they came up with it they were like oh it should be what he told kate yeah like that's yeah. his Oh, yeah, when I fought the guy with the two alligators or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It's so cool. And he's got the steel hawk in there, which, you know, that makes me think maybe it did happen. Right, you know? right. And they've done crazier stuff than this. And I thought it was interesting, too, like they named this character baga yai or whatever and so yeah. I, I wonder like if they could ever come back to that you know what i mean like you think right. about in burning hand they show in a little brief flashback scene the events of prayer t of neferu you know what right. i mean and so maybe they could pull that guy out again and show the rest of that mission where you know i guess we would know the punchline though we would know that the lobster is going to jump out at the last minute or something but they could so they could be creative about it and put another twist in there that we didn't know about you know what i mean well so do you have a preference in art style here i don't know how to explain like... it i mean they're, they're both equally great i mean i love me some guy davis but there was something about seeing it reframed in, in this Zanya chart that I really loved. Like, I really responded yeah. to this, and I was just like, oh, this is so awesome. So it, I feel that way, too, because the Guy Davis depiction, it's like, well, Guy Davis, this is a BPRD comic, and he's taking shot at the lobster, whereas in The Pirate's Ghost, that's a lobster comic. Right, right, exactly. And it felt more seamless to me. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Yeah, and in the Guy Davis one, the Steel Hawk is in the background after he gets punched, and it looks like he's trying to take that neck brace off or. Oh, right, I did it. see that, yeah. And there's those little white squiggles coming off it like he's in pain <laughs> or moving. I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I forgot about that. Anyway, it's such a cool tie in. I love That's just another reason to love these books. So that did lead me to a thought. We were just talking in some listener feedback about somebody who said they hadn't read the Lobster Johnson stuff. Forget who Oh, that yeah, was. it was Brian Levy. Okay, that's right. Brian Levy. 
book club member. <laughs> so he he got me thinking. I wonder how many Hellboy readers don't actually read Lobster Johnson. Like if I had, oh yeah, never. Like if I had never read anything about him beyond Hellboy Conqueror Worm, I would be totally fine with that. Yeah. Like the way he was used in that, like as a flashback and then later as a ghost interacting with Roger, that was perfect. Perfect yeah. Hellboy comic, perfect Lobster Johnson intro and story all in one. Mm-hmm. That could be enough for me. But if I had read BPRD and seen him pop up there, I would be way too intrigued. I would have to read. Yeah, I'd Lobster be like, what Johnson is this about? Books. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to read that. But then his appearances are just, they're more than cameos. Right. You know, it, I think, and and it wasn't just them, like the creators trying to get people to, like, oh, we got to get people to buy these lobster books. Let's put them in BPRD. He was supposed to be in the BPRD. No, yeah, he served a function in there that was very kind yeah. of ominous like i remember the first time that i read that issue where he like pops out and then he shoots liz and i'm just like oh my god what's happening but then it's just like ghost bullets i guess and it just wakes her up and you're like oh he actually did something great but and then he shot memnon saw at the same time which was so satisfying i just remember being blown away by that scene emotionally well that's why the entire arc for bprd the black goddess is essentially like a lobster johnson story but also the connecting tissue so you have to read lobster i mean you just gotta yeah i don't know how you, you could I, I love that yeah but anyway there's a whole treasure trove of stuff there for anyone who hasn't yeah so this one starts off is this like i could take a guess at the year but i'm pretty sure they don't say what the year is oh no it says it's at least because i'm looking at the trade um, but it says 1936. It says August 1st, 1936, where they go to the movie. That's not in the issues? No. Hmm. Interesting. Like it, when they're standing in front of the theater? Yeah, right in right in it where it says Tarzan and his mate. Also, Tarzan escapes. It says August 1st, 1936. And Maureen O'Sullivan, who played Jane the most, I believe, who ended up being Mia Farrow's mom. Ah, Okay. Yeah, so she was, quote, the mate, I guess. In yes, that one. yes, she was. And, and apparently she did not get along with Cheetah, oh. <laughs> the I monkey. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's like a Mia Farrow interview from uh, Letterman, I think, from way back. Okay. Early 90s, I think, where she talks about that. That's anyway, really funny. That's, that's how I know it. But, okay, so I figured out it was 1936 through the movies they're showing because they've done that before in, like, newspapers and stuff. Right, Like right. a blowing newspaper has a date on it. Yeah, yeah, they did that in yeah. The Burning Hand, I think. But I, I did want to ask you about this ghost, the ghost that Wald is interacting with throughout this thing. What are your wh- okay. What are your thoughts on that? Is he imagining the whole thing? Is he just going mad or is it influencing him? I think over the course of his storyline, he's becoming, well, more childlike. Hmm. Right? Yeah, he is. It's almost like... He's I like daydreaming sure, and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, Izog gets mad at him. He gets real frustrated with him. Right. I love that but, scene. That was a great scene where he tears the paper. I, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I thought for sure he was manipulating him somehow. Oh. I don't know if he was drugging him or hypnosis or whatever, but... When I was originally reading these, I thought for sure, I was like, oh, he's being manipulated. He doesn't really see a ghost, mm-hmm. which may have been a little too Scooby-Doo. Right. <laughs> I mean, and especially because they already had one fake ghost in already, the story. Right. 
So I do think he's going insane. I think he's starting to lose his faculties, and I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, it. his wife did, but yeah. that was like a traumatic experience, you know? I didn't even catch that parallel. Yeah, it was something about the lobster that kind of... Maybe it was that close call, and then he had to basically go into hiding. He's mostly been in hiding for these last two stories that we've seen him in. Yeah, like, and just so to get that to might him. have just like made him stir crazy. But there was this one scene. But initially, like for a first time reader, you're kind of like it starts to make you think that I just love that. I just really it it made yeah, me really cause... think about that and question it. What is this ghost? Is it really there? Is it just a figment of his imagination? That was a fun thing to play with as I read the through the story. Well, isn't it funny that they're getting an actor to pretend to be a ghost in uh, this universe where ghosts happen all the time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the yeah. main character might be a ghost. Sure. We don't really know. <laughs> That's what we were speculating about, you know? So it it's kind of funny that um, we're sitting here wondering, is, is he losing his mind? Is he really seeing? Is that thing really there? I think it comes down to this is him interacting with the pirate. It right. doesn't matter if it's there or not. It it matters how the other characters react to that. Right, right. And like even Cindy is like, he's losing his mind is what he's doing or something. Yeah, right? she does tell him. She yeah. does tell Islog that. And then the whole yeah. thing about the, we had already kind of brought this up, but we were wondering about the differences between when they show the El Bogavante pirate and then we see the hand that Isog gives him is actually a different hand. Here Isog yeah. reveals that it was that he made it up, which is what we had kind of speculated um, mm-hmm. in our listener feedback. I don't know if you were on that episode, but you didn't say anything. Have you been in situations like that already where you're like, oh, they don't know about this. I'm just not going to say anything. Yes. Um, because but you knew then, that it that Isog had had crafted it, but I didn't. Like I didn't know yet. Right. Yeah, I knew that. Um, but I didn't know that. Like, who was it? Jerry Turnbull or somebody yeah, pointed Jerry out Turnbull that it was the... that. Oh, that you didn't know that they were different. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was in the listener feedback, I believe. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I was like, oh yeah, I I don't <laughs> think I ever picked up on that. It was a different hand. I I did know that it wasn't the real deal. Right. Right. Yeah, and I guess that's the end of Isogs. I mean, it really feels like they wrapped up the lobster universe. Okay, so this is what I wanted to talk to you about. So I've been going down a rabbit hole recently trying to find out information if anybody's talked about the Lobster Johnson omnibuses because at this point they have enough for two omnibuses. You know what I mean? Everybody is begging for this stuff to get reprinted because they're all out of print and so you can't find the trade paperbacks. And then later down into the comments, somebody said, I don't think they're done making them yet. They don't know how to arrange them. And then somebody commented onto that and it was Mark Tweedell. And he said, yeah, it's pretty much this. As far as I know, because Lobster Johnson stories have not been coming out in a linear fashion, they won't know how to collect it as an omnibus until the series is done. Okay, he so is let's... so smart. He just nailed it. So let's think about this. So then are you saying that the series is not done? Because there's a big the end at the end of this one. So is it the end of 1936 and we're going to get some pre-stuff? Is the series not done? Are we going to get more Lobster Johnson in the future? Is a new miniseries going to be coming down the pipe at some point? Like, Okay, so I sent Scott Alley three texts in the last <laughs> week. The second one was me asking, what's the word on the Lobster Johnson omnibus or library edition? People oh always want God, to know yes. what's going on with that. What's going on with that? 
And he replied to all of my texts except that one. Mm. And it was like I texted him. He got right back to me. I texted him that. Nothing. I texted him something else. He got right back to me. Uh. So I don't know if that's any more or less definitive. But, <laughs> he left you on um, read on that one. Yeah. Right. But I think he's like not not saying anything um, yeah i don't know i don't know but it makes me excited it makes me so excited to think that there could be something else coming out if if you consider the opening scene to this issue to issue one of this series has already been told in bprd black goddess and how much more of the lobster story and and harry's story was told in that series like through harry right. at least you can almost see that there aren't too many gaps left to fill between the pirate's ghost and his final mission to hunt castle and all the stuff he did later as a ghost in BPRD, right. you know? And actually I'd like to, maybe we should put it out there to the readers though. How many more story arcs can be built around the lobster at this point? We got to ask Adam Hicks. <laughs> he would know. Right. Yeah. Like how many, like, okay, Adam, how many <laughs> years are there? Because, okay, I should have looked. When did Hunt Castle happen? I don't know. It was 40-something, yeah. I want to say. I want to say so, 47, but that's probably not right. So I bet there's a lot they could tell still. But what could they tell that they haven't somehow touched on? And, you know, yeah, I'll take Lobster Johnson stories. But is there a worry that Lobster Johnson could become too formulaic and they have to take it up a notch right you know? well that's like, the thing is they would have to do something different it would have to be like some weird i don't know you know we were just well we already about... know he doesn't have a crew anymore all right well it's that much less interesting what are you gonna do to supplement right right yeah why why are we reading now are they all solo missions or would you know. be would you be upset if they did do an origin? What do you think about that? I mean, of course, there's always a chance they're gonna do something totally unexpected, and that would be great. But how would you I would, just just I would gut be. reaction? Would, would you would you be happy about that, or would you be a little disappointed? I so what I was mulling over there was how would I react knowing it was on the new release rack, and <laughs> I would be apprehensive about reading it. Oh wow! So I don't want him to do that. I think that'd be. I didn't want him to end the BPRD. Yeah. But then when yeah. they did, I was like, okay, if I'm this emotionally impacted by it, then it was probably worth doing. Sure. Yeah. And and I liked it and everything, yeah. but at the same time, it's like, no, I don't want it to end. You know. So I feel that way about the Lobster Johnson origin. Like, no, I don't want to know what that is. But all right, what? You know, <laughs> tell me. So, two other things that I wanted to ask you about. One was the Cindy Tynan Harry relationship you know here it kind of gets to that I don't know if you want to say ultimatum or whatever but it's kind of like he could and and it's I think it's so interesting that Harry is just like nope my place is here you know and he gives several good reasons throughout the series and at the very end he talks about like being able to just walk in the street with her holding hands you know and that he would so he felt like he wouldn't be able to do that in Chicago. How did you feel about the way that their relationship ultimately ended? Okay, so where are they in that scene? Aren't they in Manhattan or somewhere in New York? Yeah. yeah. In Union Station, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's final because all classic love affairs wrap up there. You don't put uh... them in that grand a setting where everyone is 
I mean, come on, nothing stands still. Right. That is a classic, classic setting for a classic romance scene. And even though it might be the end of a relationship, it's still very romantic, I thought. Right, right. right. You're right. Yeah. Even the way it's colored and everything. Yeah. And saying goodbye and all that, that really tugs at your heartstrings, right? So I think that that felt over to me. Mm -hmm. Or this is like, you know, if you see the Harry Cindy relationship timeline, there's the first time they met, I don't know, first time they had tea or something instead right. of coffee, maybe. And then there's boom, this. That is attack on their relationship right, timeline. Right. And I think that that could easily, easily be it for them. Right. Yeah. I Chicago. Wouldn't... She's yeah. going to Chicago. Yeah. So who else ended up in Chicago at one point? Uh, I don't remember. Ed Gray. Oh, okay. So Chicago's like, I mean, what if she runs into the Heliopic Brotherhood, oh, right? Oh, like, could I do a Cindy Tynan story. That would be great. Yeah. I would totally like, I don't know that. that the, right? I don't know that the Brotherhood was still operating out of Chicago, but we already know in Wasteland, in BPRD. Oh, yeah, you're right. They came across that one room. Look at you, man. So, Good job. <laughs> right? So if she's going to Chicago, because I was like, oh, I don't want her to leave. And then, you know, she's going to Chicago. Oh. Well, that's cool because that's relevant to the Hellboy universe. Right. So that's not like she's going to California because what the hell's out there <laughs> in in this universe? Right. Like nothing, right. right? So so I thought that was cool. Now, the the second thing that I wanted to talk to you about is just the lobster being a fucking badass at the end of this scene where he's riding on the boat. Oh, yeah. He's got the megaphone and all that stuff. It's it so awesome. Because when I first read it, I thought that was the actor again, like playing oh, the lobster. Oh, wow. That would have been a really interesting twist. Yeah, yeah but, but here, I mean, the, the lobster is El Bogavante right here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just loved it. Yeah. He's like standing on the mast and they're just shooting it. He's just standing there. He's not afraid about getting like hit with gunfire or anything. It's so amazing. And so it's kind and of all like, the different, all the different lettering yeah, fonts that were used. God, this is such an incredible scene. So, and, and again, like, why does he just stand there like that? Is it because he's a badass or is it because bullets can't? harm him you know what i mean they're just gonna fly through him if he's like a ghost or something so anyway just a really cool image either way you know he's obviously fearless yeah you're right there's something more to him i don't think he's right totally human it's just like what you mentioned last time there's something else going on in his head that we're not privy to yeah there's like every other scene has been left out (laughs) right and so at the end of this kind of reuniting of the two couples, Harry and Cindy and Walden, his ex-wife, who is now cognizant, and then the lobster just, he just shoots and murders him in front of everybody. I mean, I didn't know what to think of that. I mean, it's a fucking badass thing. And of course, he's driven by justice, but you almost felt at that moment that maybe Wald could have been redeemed somehow, or you kind of felt, maybe maybe it's that childish thing that you were talking about, but you feel a little bit of sympathy for him in this moment, and that was shocking to me. Yeah, well, so the last time we saw him, he's like, make me one of those grilled cheese sandwiches. He's listening to the, <laughs> to the radio, right? And, and he's just like reading the pirate book all the time, and he's kind of a nut. And then I was like, oh yeah, of course the lobster killed him. Right. Because you knew that was going to happen after all the stuff he had done to the lobster and his crew. And oh, yeah, you're right. That was going to happen. He wasn't getting away. And the lobster, I mean, let's face it, he doesn't like tie people up outside of the police station. Right. He kills them and brands them. So 
what stood out to me was he did it right in front of his wife. And I was like, oh, wow, that was cold. But then if I'm the lobster, I'm thinking, hey, man, she married a gangster. That's her problem. Sure. Oh, she went she went uh, insane from it. Yeah. You married a gangster and then you witnessed him doing some horrible shit and you went, you know, right. you couldn't handle it. Well, that's on you. Right. So now you're going to watch him die. And that's that. And I think yeah, the guy is brutal. Yeah. And all he says is justice. And that's why I call him a cipher for justice. He's got one track mind. That's all it is. It's right. crazy. But there is some code there. Hmm. Hmm. You yeah. know, like he's got his guys and apparently he was worried about them. And right. I don't know. You know, the more I think about it, if this was the end of Lobster Johnson, then it would have been more final, I think. Right. But I, or would it? I don't know. I loved this little scene at the end where it's just these three nobodies and they find the hand and they're, they're with this sheriff or whatever. And yeah. he goes like, oh, I'm sure we'll never know who this belongs to. And then it has the big the end. And I was like, I'm satisfied with this being it. But... Uh, oh really? That's I not, was going to ask you that. That, that. That's not saying that I don't want more. Like I read this and I was like, oh, that was a great wrap up. And then you know, the more that I thought about it, I was like, well, how come they haven't done the omnibuses? If this is the end. And that's when I started going down this rabbit hole. And that's when I started thinking, like, oh, well, then maybe they're not done. Which I think is exciting because I feel like the way that this reads, it's almost like that's all, folks. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of saying. That's it to me. You know, I think that's why people were so pumped when the lobster showed up in that winter special. I can't wait to get to that story. That's a really great one. Um, have you read that one? Yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. That's so, a good one. I just finally got all of the library editions for Hellboy. Nice. Yeah. So I have them all now, which is really, you know, I'm not the guy that buys the series over and over and over. Right? Yes. Yes. I know. But, but once I got one of those, I was like, oh. I need the set, right? <laughs> They're too cool. That is one thing I'll always spring for, like artist editions and sketchbooks and art books. I love seeing all the process. You know, as soon as I got all those, I was like, they really need to do this for the lobster. And then I started thinking, they haven't even reprinted trade. No. Like, there, there are some trade paperbacks for Lobster Johnson that you cannot get. And, like, you'd be hard-pressed to find single issues, too. Yeah, but in, in in those cases, some people are like, I have to have the physical. But for me, like, if I can't find it, I'll just buy the digital, and I'm fine with that. And so all these, I've bought the digital on them. Okay, if you can't find single issues, that's why you have trade paperbacks. And if you can't get the trade paperbacks anymore, yeah. then they're not reprinting them. Uh, they didn't do this to Hellboy, BPRD, or Witchfinder, or Baltimore, or any of the other Manola books that I can think of. But why would you just let it run out? I don't know. I don't know. That's a very good question. I think that... And people want to buy it. There's something about the omnibuses or something. There's something about they're trying to figure that out, and maybe they're like, well, we're about to come out with them, but it maybe get, it keeps getting pushed back, or I don't know. I have no That's idea. That's a really good point that Mark made in that one thread. Yeah. Because it, but it, it, I the don't years... want him to rearrange the order, or I'm maybe that wouldn't matter so much. Well, because the Iron Prometheus would come at the end, right? Man, how good is that? Yeah. That is one of my favorite lobster stories for sure. Oh, yeah. Any final thoughts on the Pirate's Ghost? Well, I noticed a few things. I made a note of this. I wrote, that guy's robe with the gold dragon. Oh. Did you? It's a really cool robe. It's the guy at the uh, asylum. It's like a, I guess you call it a kimono. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I guess it is a kimono. That is so cool, and it's awesome, reminiscent right? of the gold dragons from Black Goddess. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I was making that connection. <laughs> Great find. Great find. That is so cool. And there was another cool thing, and I don't know if this is something that you would bother to research, but the artwork on the walls of Wald's houseboat. Well, it looked uh-huh. like demons dancing and stuff. And I was like, for a guy with a deteriorating mental state, it's like... Uh, I don't know if he's part goat or something. Pan? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a... Oh, wow. Instrument. And you can see, like, different ones. Where Isog pulls out the bomb, you can see them really yeah. well. And there's... Good find, so I don't man. I'm going to have to look for those. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to research those, see if I can find them before we record tomorrow. I mean, why in a houseboat? Because we know that he had cool artwork up in his home, right? Yeah. And remember, we saw that one of... What is it, two guys playing chess or something? Right, right. Cool, very cool. But yeah, otherwise, I thought this was cool. It does feel like it wraps up a lot of storylines, but it doesn't feel like... I mean, they certainly didn't go out of their way to go, this is the final Lobster Johnson. Right. But it's been three years. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm sure if there is more, it's already underway. It'll be out soon you know but i hope it's not an origin story (laughs) well whatever (laughs) it is yeah whatever it is i'm gonna be super excited to read it and i'm so glad that we could get together and talk about this story it was so great to read the story for the first time and i'm glad i got to share my first reactions with you so yeah it's um, awesome yeah it was really great so thanks so much for joining me today matt yeah sure thanks for calling me tell everyone i said hi i miss them (laughs) And uh, I'll definitely be on next week. Yeah, Matt. So we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you, man. Boy, those sure were a lot of opinions. That was some great trivia there. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Thank you for those observations, Matt Strackbine. Yeah. And so this... Th- those opinions were good and or bad, <laughs> depending I, on what you said. I agree or disagree <laughs> with all of them. <laughs> so we're looking at the digital omnibus. And we're on page 151. There's a sketch of the pirate. We can kind of see that. And then it has the sketchbook pages for metal monsters. So then if you want to skip over to 160, I think this is really interesting. Zanyish kind of compiled all the notes that he makes in the margins of the script. This is how a lot of his layouts are done is he's just drawing in the little margins. And that's kind of informing of what the panels are going to be in the actual comic. So I thought that was really cool behind the scene process. And just kind of glancing through these, you can see so many of the different um, panels from Metal Monsters and Pirate's Ghost being laid out. And that's pretty much it for this. There's not a lot there. You can also see kind of some of the draft ideas for the covers before and they're more conventional ideas before he decided to do like, I guess that book theme, but I do like this one where it's got like the pirate flag and in the eye of the pirate flag, you can see the lobster. That's a really oh, good yeah, one right that there. Is that's an one. interesting layout. I would just say, I do like that the covers they went with better. That's why they went with them. Exactly. Yeah. Because they knew I'd like them better. That's because they knew that you specifically would like exactly. them. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, 
What's interesting about this, and you guys might not be aware of it, is that a lot of the lobster trades are really hard to come by. Mm. Um, so it's hard to find, especially the ones that we've done in the last couple of weeks, uh, the five and six trade. You notice I don't have them. Mm. They're very difficult to find, and they're kind of out of print, and they've never been reprinted. Okay. And then so for years, people have been asking, like, when are the omnibuses going to come out? Oh, right. You know what I mean? Because no lobster stuff, whole... no more lobster yeah. stuff has come out. The lobster omnibus. And so if you think about it, there are six trades, so they have enough to do two omnibuses of this. Why haven't they done them? There's a big the end at the end of this one, right. you know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of telling us that this is the end of it. But then, so I, I, I was thinking about it and I started kind of researching into this a little bit. Have they talked about if they're going to put this in omnibus form, this and that? And I was able to find some stuff of people talking about it on the internet and Mark Tweedell chiming in. Oh. And so when Mark, T- Mark Tweedell chimes in, I'm kind of like, I'm going to take that yeah. opinion a little bit more seriously. Right. And so one of the things that a lot of people have speculated and talked about is they haven't collected it in omnibus omnibus versions because it's all out of order like if you think about it the iron prometheus which was the first one that we read the one where the episode came out all shitty that one actually comes later it would come after this one okay okay you know what i mean yeah so they would have to put it all in order and so what some people are theorizing is that they're not done yet and that's why it hasn't come out yet because they're gonna fill in some more things and some people have even speculated they're gonna fill in his origin yeah okay and so what do you think about that? Because, you know, Aubrey, you were saying, like, you mentioned before when you came over that we've been reading a lot of Lobster. Yeah. And you were like, I kind of feel like we've read it all. We have. This is it. Yeah. Right. There is one little short story in one of the winter specials. But other than that, there haven't been any Lobster stuff. So I wonder, like, are we going to get new Lobster stories coming up? Is more coming out? And that's why the omnibuses haven't come out yet? Or you know, how would you feel about that? Like, if they told his origin or if there were more lobster stories, is there more to tell with this character? It's a lot of speculation. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, okay, so one... But this is what my brain does, Sure, no, right? I'm just, <laughs> you know, well, if it hasn't, If it hasn't come out in omnibuses and the argument is they're, they they need to finish it first, then does that mean there's more coming? And if I, so, I mean, I guess. what? Yeah. What is going to come? Like Matt talked about, the lobster could go into hollow earth and kill all those Nazis, and that's why there's that burned out ship when they go down there, that burned out Nazi right, ship. Maybe right. the lobster went down there. After he learned about from metal monsters, you know, there there are things that they could fill out there. Are they going to go back and fill those out? How would you feel if they told his origin? I don't know. I mean, it's just like, okay, they already have enough to make two omnibuses. I mean, so there's got to be a reason for them not putting it out. Yeah. I mean, other than they just haven't got to it yet. I mean, it even could be that. Okay. But if there's more, great, bring it on. If they do an origin, if they do an origin, I'm pretty sure they have a reason for doing it. So okay. bring it on. Okay. Hopefully it's not shitty. <laughs> a lot of, well, a lot of times people don't get stuff like that right, but the people yeah. that we have seen so okay. far working on these projects, I have no doubt that they could do I that mean, well. So it's, you know, I, right. I have all the faith in the world in these creators. I mean, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they already have his origin already worked sure. out. Right. I mean, they probably have it already worked out for the internal for themselves. Right. Like, yeah, of for, course. Of course. Or like, you know, the, uh, the you know, the quote unquote Bible. Right. And that's what I'm uh, saying. It's like, it could be super fucking cool. Like, all those issues that I'm always really super impressed with, they're like, here's the history of the existence yeah. of the world. And you're yeah. like, cool, I'm down for this. And it right. ends up being even cooler than anything you could have anticipated. That's really satisfying how they make it this big right. thing. And it's, you know, like I'm saying, like everything that I've read in these 
various series so far have been very satisfying yeah, and very yeah. cool. And awesome. so I have all the faith in the world that it could be awesome. You know, and if any, if we were talking about anything else, I would be like, I don't know about that. You know, like they do right. the origin of whatever, whoever, Wolverine yeah. and so on and so forth. And he yeah. was a little fancy pants boy. Sure. It's like, <laughs> who cares? But this is, this is something that could potentially be awesome because yeah. they'll tie it into the Ogdru him somehow right, or whatever. Right. We've the, talked about the Vril connection yeah. and everything so, so much we've been speculating. If they wanted to do that, they definitely could pull it off. So I mean, yeah. would it be just weird if he was just like, he was just a guy, went to work one day, just said, fuck it, justice. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then he's the lobster. Right. Yeah. No, that's it. They're, that was it. They're, that's his origin. <laughs> that could be it. Yeah. That could be it. Yeah, but I love that. I just wanted to talk to you guys about that. Um, Are you sure he's not going to fall down a well with a bunch of bats or something? <laughs> now he's Batman. But because like... No, he falls down a well with a bunch of lobsters. Oh, a bunch of lobsters. There it is. <laughs> the, no, he falls into the lobster tank at oh, the restaurant. No. <laughs> As oh, a little kid, he's no. like, no. Um, but I just... Uh, because I and never... They save him justice. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. But, <laughs> that's okay. Sorry. Like I said, uh, I hadn't read this one. So I'm reading this one along with you guys for the first time. And when I got to that big the end, I was like, okay, I, I felt sure. okay about it. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. this is it. You know, I've read that winter special story, which is really good. We'll get to it. But I was like, I'm okay with this being it. But then when I started researching about why the omnibuses haven't come out, I was like, Hmm, I'm excited. That made me excited. I was like, maybe we have some more lobster coming down the pipe we don't know about. So okay, when does he get recruited by the government? Hunt Castle. I don't know. Matt and I were talking about this, and Matt was like, man, you should have. we should have researched this. Uh-huh. If I didn't, and then now you're asking me about it, and I still didn't do it. I want to say it was 1947. Okay, so it's basically 10 years after what we just read. Yeah. Okay. And in that time, we know that a lot of his crew gets killed off, mm. too. Uh-huh. A lot of the guys end up dying. Okay, so well, if if they do have more stories to tell, it's I mean, it's either going to take place. I feel like though every story has like a year thirty seven, thirty. I mean, thirty four, thirty five, thirty six, right. and so forth. So I don't know where they could put anything in between. Right. So why not just go ahead and release those omnibuses? <laughs> I know you're listening, Mister Mignola. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get them. Yeah, a lot of people were asking for them, and then and then the decision that they haven't reprinted any of the trades. Like, you would think if they're not going to come out with the omnibuses for a while, they would just reprint the trade so people could buy them, right? Why are they out of print? So, anyway, I just, I like to speculate and talk about all that. Matt and I had a good chat about all that kind of stuff. Maybe it has something to do with the lobster himself. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I think we have been reading the lobster too many weeks, Aubrey. Oh, man. Also, that man is not listening to this. (laughs) don't don't ring it on my parade (laughs) and uh so we'll be back next week and we'll have matt back on i really want to have him back on for next week because we're we have a big topic and he is the perfect guy to talk about it with and now aubrey's gonna say all the things it's aubrey thank you daniel all right, everybody, share us your thoughts on Lobster Johnson, the Pirate Ghost. You can send us at heyyoudamnguys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link and the reading list on our Facebook About section and also Adam Hicks' Chronology, which I still haven't looked at because I don't want to get spoiled. Yeah, don't look at <laughs> Uh, but I kind of, I do want to look at it for dorky reasons. <laughs> Always a special thanks to Paul from Gartahan for the amazing theme. Thank you, Mark Trudell, for the help with the reading loader. Thank you, John, for your fucking editing magic. You are a wizard. Anytime. Thank everybody else. You can find the podcast on 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, next week, we are going to be reading Rise of the Black Flame. So, you know what to do. Kill the Black Flame. <laughs> and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Kill the Black Flame. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, feel the burning sting of justice. Yeah. Lobster Johnson. Fill the fucking claw. There you go.